Hi, and welcome to Air Graphics Podcast. My name is Ralph Kelly, the owner of Air Graphics, airbrushing and character. This week, our guest is Malcolm McRae, better known as the airbrush assassin. Malcolm's mantra, to live, to create, to inspire, should let you know how passionate he is about art. Malcolm has been in the business for over 23 years. He has his own airbrush, a book, and a lot to say. So let's get to it. <coughs> hey, what's right. up, Malcolm? All How right. you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? Good, man. I'm doing awesome, man. That's great. Can you hear me good? Yeah, I can hear you perfectly. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I got you, bro. I got you. Yeah, hey, before you we get to the shop today? Yeah, yeah, we was uh, they had us working uh, since the storm didn't hit. We opened up an hour later, but uh, we were still there for for regular time. Oh, okay, right on, right on. Yeah. So this is kind of cool, man. This just kind of records the whole thing, and then you kind of edit it afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on. This is real cool. Yeah. So before we get started, you got any websites or anything you want to uh, bring up, put out? Uh, pretty much just my website, MalcolmMcRae.com. That spelling, you know, I gotta get that spelling. Man, I had it wrong. <laughs> them, M, them M's and them C's, man, always catch people up. Yeah, I I fixed it on the last one, but I I didn't do it on the last one. But when I put it again, it'll be the right one. Right on. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so my name is Malcolm Airbrush Assassin McCray. Um, I've been airbrushing and doing art pretty much. Um, over for over, I don't know, 20, 25 years. I started off when I was pretty young. Um, I'm originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm an artist, author, speaker, educator, entrepreneur, um, all of that good stuff. And I'm just honored to be, uh, on this incredible uh, podcast. Oh, oh man, that's, that's nice right there. That's, that's nice. So, uh, so you already answered some of my question. One of my questions was going to be how long you've been in the business, but you said twenty five years. Man, you got me beat. Yeah, man. Uh, I started off probably. I mean, I, I, I sound like an old, a old fart, but I, I just turned forty years old uh, two days ago. Oh man! So, oh, happy birthday! Thank you, man. So you know when I, it's so funny because I have to think about how long I've been doing this, and when I reflect on like forty, I take twenty from that. I was twenty. But I really started off when I was probably 15, like 14, 15 is like when I really started off. I made my first hundred dollars airbrushing on a street corner in uh, Columbus, Ohio, 14, 14 years old. So, um, you know, I, I started off just like a lot of artists. I seen a guy airbrushing in the mall in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And um, from there, I was really just kind of inspired by it was like the first time that I seen like graffiti or like urban art being put on like clothing and, 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 and wearable art. So like I'm an 80s baby. So I grew up watching like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and, you know, I'm saying yo MTV raps. Oh, so, yeah. Seeing like the rappers, Tupac and all of them, you know, wearing like, you know, overalls with airbrushing on it and so on. Like I was just amazed that, you know, that that whole um, customization perspective and then I'm a big graffiti head so as a kid man I love street art so like all my homies was getting locked up and shit going excuse my language getting locked up <laughs> now you're all, good you're good all my homies was getting locked up and um 
for doing graffiti and I'm like, yo, I'm going to make some money. So as an entrepreneur at a young age, I decided to kind of like, you know, really focus in on um, my craft and, um, you know, I went to the mall, asked the guy if he would teach me airbrushing. And he told me like, yo, man, I ain't got no time to be babysitting nobody's kids. So uh-huh. <laughs> I had to uh, pretty much, um, I shovel snow and, you know, I'm up from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where it gets real cold. So in the wintertime, I shovel snow and in the summertime, you know, I mow lawns until I was able to uh, buy my first airbrush, uh, Pache BL. Um, Ooh, big sausage one, huh? Yeah, man. For hundred dollars, man. Ninety nine dollars, <laughs> man. I yeah. Hustled, hustled up that ninety nine dollars, man. And the rest is uh the rest is history. Man, that's that's cool. I, I never tried to I tried to pass out, I bought one. I just couldn't get, get into it. I bought a man, I started with a fingernail airbrush that I found in a pawn shop. Mm. Mm. Man, that, that little cup on top, you keep filling it up. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, that, that's cool, man. Well, well that, I'm, that, that, uh, you know, like, Pache, they in Chicago, and I'm in Milwaukee. Milwaukee and Chicago are, like, they're only, like, an hour and a half drive. Yeah, yeah. So I would go. I remember I, I went to Pache when I was, like, 14 years old, man, and did a tour. Oh, and wow. was, like, blown away at, like, seeing them actually manufacturing the airbrushes. Because back in the day, we used to be able to send our guns back to Pache. We used to send our guns back to uh Pache to get them clean and get them, you know, conditioned and all of that. So I think one one time, my dad, my dad is an entrepreneur as well. You met my pops. Oh yeah, I was gonna bring up pops. And uh, my pops used to go to Chicago um, a couple of times a week to go buy wholesale uh, products because he's a screen printer. So one of the times he went up to Chicago, I asked him to take me over to Pache. I was a kid, man. I just remember going in there and I was just amazed at seeing them. Like manufacturing and, and, and making uh, airbrushes, so like I got a special love in my heart for Pache because that was like not only one of the, like the oldest you know uh, airbrush uh, guns and the you know uh, airbrush manufacturers in the country, but for me being up mid in the Midwest, like you know being able to go there, that was like very magical. So you know the Pache VL was like I, I went from Pache and then I went over to the Vega two thousand. Yeah, yeah, remember those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The original. The original, uh, they had the uh, first one with the little hole in the, right. you know, yeah, hole right. in the front, yeah, right. So that was that, that was like that was like my transition into Iwata's, you know, I guess. Yeah, it was a uh, when I talked to Pat last week, he was talking about when I asked him what airbrushes was out back then, and uh, uh, he said, Yeah, it was a uh, it was Bix, no, Bix was the paint, and there was some other gun, I think he brought up badges, yep. and then he brought up uh, uh, Pache's was one of the first ones, like. Yeah, I could never get into Pache. Pache had a gun. It was like a, a smaller version. And I, I had that one. I can't think of the, the name. Millennium? Yeah, I like yeah, the Millennium. I love that gun, too. Yeah, that was a good one. So did you ever work out an airbrush shop, or you just like... Oh, uh, yeah, man. So, like, pretty much, you know, um, make a long story short, like, you know, I uh, once I got my airbrush, you know, I was just practicing at home as a kid, and... um I was around a lot of entrepreneurs like my dad, man, you know, like I was blessed enough to be around a lot of business oriented individuals. And um, one of my dad's friends um, was a jeweler as well. He's still a jeweler and um, he runs a, a organization called the Timbuktu Art Colony. And what that what that is, is it's like a group of artists that this um, mentor, uh, his name is Sajifo. He's a, a, a African-American jeweler, a silversmith and 
us. And um, he, he kind of took me underneath his wing and I used to do festivals and fairs with him and I would on the side do my little airbrushing. So that kind of like pushed me to kind of like, you know, you know, be self-sufficient. And then my dad also with the screen printing. So, um, you know, I was airbrushing and practicing at home. You know, my mom was very supportive of my skill and she just had one rule and was like, yo, you can paint on anything. Just don't paint on none of the walls in my house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, of course, being the kid, man, my little my little tag name was like Chaos. It's so funny because I just brung that tag name back and I've been signing a lot of my new digital art with Chaos. But um, I was tagging one day in the basement and like she never came in the basement. But this one specific time, she decided to come in the basement and see my tag. And like I come home and like. Like my mom was was very great gracious. Like so, we was always having like friends of the family come stay the night if they was dealing with, you know, just not having anywhere to stay and this and that. So, like even to this day, I have like an extended family of just people who, you know, throughout our family, throughout our through our uh, upbringings, have just been um, like extended family. So it wasn't unusual for like people to come come over and be staying the night for a couple of days, or if they got kids, you know. It was all cousins and, 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 and all of that, you know, play cousins. You remember play cousins? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, I come home this one day, man, and, my, and, I, and I go upstairs and, like, you know, at the time my mom and my dad was going through a divorce and my dad went to go live in Columbus, Ohio. And my, my mom um, with five kids uh, was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And um, I, I remember coming home and, like, like it was like some luggage in my room. Like yo, like somebody coming to stay the night, mom. I'm like yo, who coming to stay the night? She like ain't nobody coming to stay the night. Chaos. You going to live with your dad? <laughs> Went in the basement and seen my little tag, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it was like yo, I'm putting you on a flight to Milwaukee. You know, so you know all you know all young young men like around that time. You know, like around twelve to fourteen years old, they going through their rites of passage and they feeling themselves as a man. Yeah, rebellious. You know, yeah, exactly. Rebellious, you know, hormones kicking in. Mom like, yo, I can't deal with these boys. I'm sending them to their fathers. So she uh she sent me on a plane to Columbus, Ohio, where my dad was living, and um I had my airbrush equipment with me. And uh make a long story short, um, me, my dad, and my brother, we actually were uh, homeless in an abandoned building. We lived in an abandoned building for like three years. Um, oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah, without no electricity, no running water, no heat, like all the way, you know, through the, we talking about, you know, below zero, you know, when you get snowed up, you know, that, that, that Arctic, uh, that Arctic drift to come through and, this, <laughs> and you cold. So, you know, I started off airbrushing like, you know, doing little stuff on the side. And then I went to school and I was kind of like, a, you know, I was an artist, man. So I didn't really fit in with the normal school structure. So I, I just really uh, focused in on my art, man. And I got bullied a lot when I was a kid, um, you know, being homeless, man. Like we was living in this abandoned building, but we had, um, we did have heat. We had a kerosene heater. And um, so like all of my clothes smelled like kerosene. So I would go to school and get bullied for smelling like gas. You know, kids. That's are crazy, man. You know, so, man, you never really know a person's story. You know what I'm saying? Never know, man. So, you know, I, I went from that to like my dad was telling me about a flea market. And I went from like going like airbrushing at school just to make some, some money, you know what I'm saying, selling shirts and stuff to like 
like we lived on a street corner, like in a hood growing up. And like it was like a main street, like like on one side of the streets, like you seen crackheads and like prostitutes and cats selling crack cocaine. And I like I, and like one first of the month, I was broke and needed some money. And my dad like, yo, why don't you set up airbrushing in front of the house? I'm like, yo, dad, we ain't even got no electricity for my compressor. He like, yeah, don't worry about it. He talked to one of his friends down the down the street. They ran a cord for me. And I set up on the street corner, man. Made my first hundred dollars, man, when I was out there. And got you hooked. I ain't looked back ever since. Yeah, yeah. That's how it was when I got. Well, I worked in the plants and I got laid off. And it was a. Uh, uh, I, I ended up going to the. I was like, man, I got to make some money, so I went to the flea market. Man, yeah. I was making top pay when I was in the plants. But then it right. was like, well, you know what? After I got that flea market and got hooked on that money I was making, now, I was like, man, I ain't going back out there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. So, so I went uh, from that. My my mom ended up dying, man. Like I ended up getting a call, like while we was living in this building. Like I ended up getting a call late night. You know, a friend of the families came through and um, told us that my mom was in the hospital, and then my dad told me that my mom had died. So I had to um, really scrabble together, and like like two days later, we had called a flight back going to Milwaukee because I got I got three little sisters. I'm the oldest out of five, so um, my little sister um, Yoki. She's the second from the youngest. She just passed away two years ago from cerebral. She had cerebral palsy. So, like, we had to go back and take care of her. Take care of her. So I brought my airbrush, man. And, like, when I, when, once I got back to, like, Milwaukee, my journey just started. I opened up my first airbrush shop when I was 15, 16, 17. I had my own airbrush shop. And then, like, when we were homeless, like, we had one vision. And the vision was, like, to combine, like, my dad does screen printing. You know, I was getting into airbrushing, so we wanted to combine the business. So, like, when we got back to Milwaukee, um, I opened up a company. I was probably, like, 16 years old. I was able to buy this building. I saved some money and bought a building. And um, we opened up this business called Showtime Wild Image, where, like, we did screen printing, airbrushing, transfers. And then I started working with youth, like, teaching youth how to do airbrushing. And like that, that like changed my life, you know. Yeah, because I think I rem- I don't know what the name of it was back then, but I remember uh, uh, I look online and I remember I, I think that's the first time I ever saw some of your stuff. You used to have these, um, I guess you were selling these kits. Yeah. I, I don't know if you were selling the kits. You had like the uh, the transfers, yeah. Or the, uh, these hood guys and yeah. I try. I you know what? To be honest, I tried to mimic your style on one thing one time. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah man. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna give you a little props. I saw, I saw some of your stuff. I liked it. I was like, yeah, let me, let me right try on. this real quick. Yeah, but right it was on. like, I seen a, the first time I seen you was on that West Coast forum. Yeah, yeah, that was just you know, starting was out, like, man. Yeah, that was like the early days when, like, the first time internet seeing other artists, seeing other artists of color at that, and then yeah, that's the big you know, thing right now. That too. was we, a we, big we, thing. Yeah, we're talking about we talk. That's one of the things I'm gonna start adding to this. The, uh, some diversity. That's why. I'm trying to alternate the, the, you know, the people who I, I did Pat last week. I'm doing you this week. So, you know, I'm trying to keep it switching up a little bit. That was my whole thing is like when I seen Pat and him, like I was in Milwaukee and Pat and him was in Illinois, right? When they was dropping those transfer sets with the cars yeah. and stuff, Pat Gaines and um, they had that whole coast airbrush movement, you know what I mean? Where they was opening up franchises and all of that. So, I really, I really got inspired by watching um, Pat Gaines and uh, Mark uh, Rush and all of these cats, um, you know, pushing that out there. And then, but nobody was doing urban. 
Like, yeah, no, true story. Nobody was doing urban. So I'm like, yo, so I remember when the transfers first came out, it was a company, I forgot the name of them, Hitman, Hitman Transfers back in the day. Yeah. And they they the first ones that I seen with the transfers. And then I seen Mark and them drop the transfers and Pat Gans. I'm like, yo, I'm in the hood. I was doing over $100,000 a year off of airbrushing shirts, doing memorial, resting. That's where the transfer thing started to pop off at because, like, we was making, we was doing so much volume of work that we couldn't keep up with the airbrushing. So I came out with the transfers because my dad is a screen printer. And I'm like, yo, if we can get the black and white outlines done, then we can speed up the process. Now the so, process is gone. It's over with right there. Exactly. So, you know, from that perspective, um, you know, I, I got really inspired by just watching. Remember the airbrush, um, airbrush rag? Do you no, remember that? Really. No. It was it was a newsletter that Mark Rushton put out. They used to have an organization called the American Airbrush Association. And they had a newsletter called the Airbrush Rag. R-A-G. You can Google that. You can you can ask them them cats if they if they remember it, but um, you know it was like that was like a little newsletter before you know you had already you already had kind of like some airbrush magazine but it was like a little newsletter, and that little newsletter man like really like inspired me to kind of like really look at the bigger momentum of the airbrush industry even at a young age. So I'm like yo, everybody was doing beach scenes and I'm like I'm in Milwaukee man Ain't no beach up here yeah right. <laughs> Well, they urbanize this up and throw some dice and throw some urban stuff up there, some stuff that I know for sure is gonna sell. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that stuff. You you don't um you don't really make those that much no more, huh? Actually, I'm bringing them back out. Yeah, um, I'm bringing them back out, and um, I I, I don't know necessarily if I'm gonna go with the transfer method, but I I might because you know like the cricket and all of the heat transfer movement has kind of like you know, made it made it possible for the novice to be able to want to get into the t-shirt business. So I'm thinking about bringing those back out, you know, but I'm what I'm going to do is also I'm going to do a lot of those on those canvases, like the outlines that you was having with the shoe on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to be, I'm working on that right now. I'll be dropping those in probably another month. Dude, that is a sleeper, man. People, yeah. people ain't grasping that. That's a sleeper thing, no, man. That's the way to man. go, man. Man, them home, you know, painted home kids. That, man, I, I didn't, I didn't sold some of those. Sold That's the way to go. I'm just taking. You gotta my keep time and building that, building that momentum right now. I just got a box of about two hundred some uh, canvases that just came in today. Yeah, and that's what's crazy about it is that uh, uh, the evolution of it. everybody that got a little cricket machine starts a business. Right. Everybody got one. Exactly. They want to start a business. Right. Yeah. I think it's good though because it, you know, like. I, you know, especially with Corona and all of that, like, I just feel like that, you know, this is like a big boom for entrepreneurship. And like, especially in our industry, as far as like airbrushing, customizing, um, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. It's like the more people that we can get into it, the more industry grows. And then hopefully also I'm hoping that that overflows into the airbrush industry as well, because we because we losing we losing a big we losing a big part of the next young generation. You think so? Oh yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, I don't, well, you don't. Go ahead. You don't see as many. You don't see as many. I, you know, come think of. You don't see as many shops as you used to see. You don't. Not only do you not only see shops, you don't see no young. No, like I, I was airbrushing when I was fifteen, sixteen. 
you know, even 20 years old, like you don't see no young artist out there um, that's like, like what's the new generation of airbrush art like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So that's That's been my quest for the last like 10 years since I started working with youth and working with training and teaching is like really trying to um, build up the momentum with airbrushing because like, you know, like if we don't make it cool, then it's going to die out. I, I, I feel like that, you know. Um, one of the other things that you did, you was uh, you, you start selling DVDs too. Yeah, yeah, man. When I when I had my shop, um, when I had my shop in Milwaukee, um, I knew that due to the fact that, like I said, you know, I was inspired by a lot of the Terry Hill, all of the cats who had DVDs out. You know, I'm like, yo, I'm looking at Airbrush Action Magazine. I'm looking in the magazines. I'm looking through, you know, I'm saying the distributors and everybody got, you know, airbrush DVDs out, but nobody had nothing that was urban. Like N- nothing had, that nothing that looked like us. Nothing that looked like us. Like if you was like if you was airbrushing on the beach, you was cool. If you was airbrushing somewhere near some water through through spring breaks, you was cool. They had a whole all of that. But for like artists, you know, like me, I'm talking about you know, my season up north is totally different from a season down south. You know, what I'm saying? yeah. So yeah, yeah. I'm from, you know, I'm I'm an hour from Chicago. I'm in the Midwest where you got, you know, now that you when now that you if you reflect on how airbrushing is now, it's very territorial as far as style. So when you look up north, it's a different style. When you look at Feli, when you look at me, when you look at um, different artists from Chicago. When you look at style, it's a different style compared to down south or the the the, the uh, vacation beach perspective. Because up north, it's cold, man. Like in August, like we it might snow in August. You know, what I'm man. No, so, no, nah, nah, I couldn't do it, brother. I'm, I'm down <laughs> south, baby. <laughs> I couldn't so, do like, it. We we got a whole different perspective of like we ain't doing no beach scene, so. When I started coming out with the DVDs, it was like, yo, I remember, I remember this, man, because I got a homie who was just, he was just getting into filming. And uh, I remember, at, you know, having, you know, paying him to commission, commissioning him to do my first DVD. And I knew, you know, I knew I said, I said I'm going to put this thing out here and see what it did. You know, like I made a lot of money off of eBay, man. Yeah. Selling those DVDs, man. Oh, no joke? Yeah, man, and then I didn't, you know, like no, none of the major distributors wanted to hold my 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 DVDs. I sent out my DVD to every major art. If you was into art, period, you got one of my DVDs in the in the mail. And it's so funny because like my momentum now is like always been like my momentum has always been like for artists by artists, right? Yes, and that that really started off because like I didn't get no love, you know. I look at it like the hip hop game, you know. what I mean, like back in you know in the hip hop game, it's like when it was during a time where executives didn't really pay no attention to the urban artists and like the urban hip hop momentum, and then the guys started creating their own record labels and like you know what you don't want to pay attention to me. That's okay. I start my own record label. So I took yeah. the whole momentum of like when I was seeing Master P when I was seeing. You know, Rockefeller Records with Jay-Z and them, that was all around the same time I was dropping um, these independent um, DVDs and videos. I took that same method of hip-hop of like, okay, y'all ain't going to let me in the door, 
I can't close the deal, no distribution deal. I'm gonna go independent and sell out to Trump. So eBay yeah. like me selling out to Trump. You know, I would go, I would literally go out of town, bro, and put like, like I would literally go out of town or go travel, not knowing how I'm gonna get back home. Put like two hundred dollars worth of DVDs on eBay, and like hopefully that they'll sit to be able to make sure that I get enough money to get back home from my traveling and promoting my, and marketing my products. You know. You know what the good thing about that? You get a hundred percent of the damn money. A hundred percent, and then like it gave me the momentum to start my own, um, my own fan base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like that's the same yeah. thing with my DVDs. It was the same thing. It was like. I'm not gonna push it. I'm gonna I'm gonna sell it myself. I'm gonna market it myself. And, and you know what? I sent them all over the world. Exactly. And and I kept all the money. And you kept all the money. And people, you know, and people, you know, like I got plenty of students out there now. You know, that's that's where I'm at now, and where I'm at in my career is like, you know, mentoring my students, and you know, I'm doing conference calls with my students and individuals. Do you know I got like a whole big movement in Africa right now built around those DVDs? Oh no, Joe. Yeah, and, see, uh, and they forever. You you can still use the same content. It's still yeah. it's still a work. I I started maybe about four years ago because you know I started going into education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe like four years ago, I I started taking the DVDs and moving them over into schools and like you know teachers and all of that. And then maybe like the last th- like two years ago, I really put everything online. I took all of my DVDs. I, I took a whole year and just took all of my videos and put them online. So I have an online airbrush um, uh, a class or like a or like a school where you can all of my videos that I put out. You know, I mean, I got probably over ten DVDs, and not even talking about the new content that I've been dropping. Um, I got that all online now, so so people can go on to my website, MalcolmMcCray.com, and you can sign up and be able to get access to all of those videos. So I have a lot of uh, teachers and a lot of artists. You, you you just pay like a small monthly fee, and like you know, I got like a seven day trial. It's like Netflix for airbrushes. Yeah, I got see. People need to know that. See, a lot of people. That's what I was trying to tell you earlier. Like you need to tell me things and ask you, so I can ask you that, so we can make sure we get it out. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, now people know now. Now they know. Yeah, and that's a good thing because, like I said, it's like some of the content. That's one of the things I need to switch over is to get mine from DVDs to to streaming. Yeah, streaming it seems like that's where it's at now. Yeah, yeah, streaming is the way to go, man. It took a long time though. It took a long time. I've been I've been working on streaming for like the last four or five years, but it took a long time for streaming for people to get comfortable with it, and then I. And then, and then, you know, a lot of my focus, um, I started really, I started really focusing in on the next generation. Like I really wanted to impact like, like the next generation of artists. So I was like, yeah, DVDs, individual, that's cool. But I was like, you know, my upbringing dealing with schools and education, like I was one of those kids that I didn't think I was going to graduate high school. So I was like, yo, let me, let me make, maybe if I can kind of get into um, working with teachers and showing teachers how to use the airbrush, um, then I can be able to kind of like really broaden it and open it up. So a couple of years ago, I was like, you know, I started getting calls from schools, like people, you know how like people, somebody like, hey man, can you come talk to my class? 
you know, can you come yeah, to yeah. school and talk, talk, talk to my class about art? And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, this and that. And I, and I didn't know, I didn't know what the, I was doing. I didn't even know what I was doing. I was just, you know, a, 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 a art teacher called me and was like, can you come talk to my kids? And I'm like, yeah, whatever. So you know, it was free. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing it for no money. I just went in there and just kind of like talked a little bit, and it was like, oh yeah, I dig this. Um, I like working with youth. Period. Because at the height of my airbrush business, when I was in Milwaukee, I really needed employees, and I couldn't find any adults that want to work for a sixteen-year-old kid. You know what I'm saying? Like I needed to, I needed like somebody that could do Photoshop. Because we're doing, you know, we're doing four color separation with screen printing. And I needed somebody that I could teach how to, you know, somebody that knew how to do transfers. Because that was the early days of, of, of inkjet transfers. And we did, I, I was making over $100,000 a year, man. And majority of my money that I was making was built around memorial and death t-shirts. So transfers. Yeah. So I needed, I needed help with that. And I couldn't find an adult like I went to the art schools I put I put listings in the paper and nobody wanted to come in the hood and work 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 for me <laughs> I had this white guy pull up you know what I mean and he had his portfolio and he comes into the hood and like I could tell he's nervous and he like yo you know he never came back when I called him back so yeah um I started getting these neighborhood kids man these kids who like parents was like smoked out on crack and they just didn't really have an outlet and that one time they would just come through and start cleaning up the shop for me and then from there i started getting like some of my friends they had little brothers that was into art so like my one of my one of my best students um to this day he's been with me for probably over 10 years now i got him when he was 15 i was a kid and he was a kid he was a little younger than me and i was probably like 17 and he was like 14 and um, I taught him how to airbrush, and now he's one of my my proteges, you know, in Milwaukee. He took over. He actually, my business was called Showtime Wild Image, and he uh, he took over my company, and it's called Wild Image Remix right now. And I gave him the blessing to take over my company, uh, the name and all of that. And he's he's created his own company now. He's a father, and he has some kids now. So, you know, it it it, it really it really goes to show that like. You know, like for, for, for other individuals, I don't know how it was, but for me, like, like you know, I was just on the phone with one of my homies, man. He, he He's incarcerated in prison. You know, he got locked up when we was kids, man, during the same time when I started my business. So, like, art for me is like, it saved my life. Like, for me, yeah. like, where I come from, everybody is a statistic. I could have easily been a statistic, either dead or in jail. And, like, airbrushing and, like, art, period, like save my life. I wouldn't be here as a successful artist if it wasn't um, for uh, me having art at a young age and having art teachers and having a father that was an artist. Um, that that really uh, propelled my life. I, I've been blessed enough to be a full-time artist all my life. I've, I've never worked for anybody with a nine-to-five. Yeah. So, yeah, and it, it kept you from doing shit well, kept you from doing things you shouldn't have been doing. Exactly, kept me out of the streets. Like I'm saying, man, I was just I was on the phone with a homie of mine, dog. He been he been locked up for like 15 years, bro. Ever since we was a kid, and I remember that night. Like I remember that night, I could have I could have easily got wrapped up into that into that gang life, but like I had a T-shirt or I had a backdrop order to do. You know what I mean? And I I, I didn't go to that club. I didn't go to that party that night. And like my homies them end up going to that, and they end up. 
like getting wrapped up into some street life. And like, I just had a homie that just did 15 years that just got out five, you know, uh, maybe a couple months ago. Then I just had another homie, he in prison right now. And like all of the the art, but I didn't know how far this art was going to take me, you know, you know, to be able to make over six figures now as an artist, as an entrepreneur, I feel highly blessed every day, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's something you love. Well, you love or you like. And, and it's, you, you're, not, you're not dealing with the, well, you're dealing with the stress because, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's entrepreneurial life, so. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you know but, you're doing something that you love, so it's really not that, that bad. It ain't, you know, you. and it's challenging. You know, I, I'm a I'm an entrepreneur, man. So I love the challenge. I'm an I'm, I'm an artist, so I love the challenge. Like, I love the challenge of business. Like right now, Corona is the worst thing that happened to a whole lot of people. But for me, this is gonna be one of my bestest years yet. So, oh. you know, like I the challenge of adversity and diversity and how to be able to adjust through um, um, trying times. You know, it's been my biggest, my biggest um, um, uh, tools that I use in my life because I came from the gutter. You know, my mom died when I was, you know, saying 12 years old. So, you know, I, I raised my little brothers and sisters and, you know, as a father and I'm a, my daughter just turned 18. She just graduated from high school, you know. So as a, as a husband, as a as a as a as a, as a son. Um, you know, I take care of my dad at his elderly, you know, as he's getting older, you know, so it's like all of those different things, man, has propelled me to be able to keep moving because, like, I refuse to be a starving artist. Like, I refuse, yeah. I refuse for people, you know, I refuse um, for people to keep telling their kids not to be artists because there's no financial future in that. Oh, you know? man, that's a lot. I'm this the, money there. I'm the end result of like, yo, I do really well. I got a bus. I, you know, I travel the country. I got a nice vehicle. I got a beautiful wife. I'm happy. My family is taken care of. I really don't have to want for a whole lot as I get older. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 what it's all about, man. It, it, I mean, you, it, it, the money's there. You got to get out. It ain't gonna, it ain't gonna. Sometimes it ain't gonna walk through the door to you. You got to go out there and figure out a way to get it. Yeah, that's, so it's that's, all about that hustle. That's one thing I talk about with, with the airbrush industry, man. Like all the artists out there, I, mean, I just want to give them a, a, a word of advice. Like you got to diversify, man. Like if you ain't, if if you stuck on the same old trend, one of my, you know, you know, one of my greatest mentors in the airbrush industry is Richard Hernandez, and one of the reasons why he one of my mentors is because when I was when I was like kind of making my transition out to out of the t-shirt game and like coming into like you know um um doing more of the work that i do now with murals and working with young people like like i worked with richard like i was a young artist that i had an opportunity to work with richard like in memphis and like you know he he, he helped me understand like the business perspective of how to be able to look at this game and I took that game that he taught me and then I took a lot of other games because I realized that like I didn't want to be pigeonholed into a box. I didn't want to just only be an airbrush t-shirt artist. Yeah. I knew that that was going to limit me and I knew that like as the things that I wanted in my career and the things that I wanted for my daughter, the things that I wanted for my family, 
I knew that airbrushing t-shirts wasn't going to be able to give me what I needed to be able to fulfill, um, you know, to fulfill um, financial freedom. Straight up. So every aspect that I tried to look at different perspectives on whether it was creating my own airbrush, whether it was creating DVDs, whether it's creating transfers, whether it's, you know, doing educational components, like diversity is like the key. And that's what's kind of kept, has been keeping me um, afloat because like I never get comfortable when every, when other individuals and Richard always talks about that. He's like, yo man, you don't want to be a, you don't want to be a part of the fad. You want to create the fad. And I've always tried to create the fad and be the one who is responsible to like, like I look at it like this, man. I have a legacy to be able to leave. Like, and back in the day, the legacies was maybe like, okay, you you, you put your you put your legacy in a book, you put your legacy or your story in documentary or film. But like today's day, today's uh, day and age, it's like the legacy is going to be on YouTube. The legacy is going to be virtual. So I, I want to make sure that ten years, fifteen years, twenty years down the line, let's say like fifty years down the line. Like when people like be like, okay, what was going on in 2020? They always look at the artist, and I want to be able to make sure that like my legacy is left through your digital footprint. Digital footprint, it gotta be, man. It gotta be. And yeah. if an artist is not thinking like that, then you think in short term, because your legacy, your legacy is your investment. Your legacy is when you leave your children art. If you leave your children art, if you leave your children all this creative stuff, but you don't leave them no value, you don't leave them like, all right, my dad was an artist or my grandfather was an artist. And not only was he an artist, he created this piece of art. And this this piece of art represented um, cultural differences or represented what black people or artists of color was going through at the time or just artists or, or, or just people of color, period. We have a responsibility to be able to, and we only get a snapshot, right? Especially doing a digital perspective. Like we only get a snapshot to be able to like somebody, hopefully one day somebody will Google, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and be like, yo, what was this dude Malcolm doing in like 2020? While all hell was breaking loose, while Corona, what was the artist is doing? And if you look at history, I don't care if you look at the hieroglyphics, if you look at Roman uh, if you look at Picasso, where whoever artists that you follow, if you look at history, the artists have always been able to record history through art. We that's our responsibility as artists. Yeah, and you you know who said that? Nina Simone said that too. Mm. We're not talking about the times, you know. What what are we talking about? What you talking you know? about? Right. Yeah. So you got to talk about what's going on right now. I mean, you I I. I post a lot of drawings and, and I'll, I'll put some, like last night I put H-Trap H. Brown on. I drew H-Trap Brown last right, night. Right, right. And you know, it, it's, you gotta, you, you gotta say something. And yeah. I know I, I I post everything I do. I love your uh, Target, your Target one that you just did. Oh yeah. With yeah, the little boy cool. running. Yeah, with Target on his back. With his Target on his back. Yeah. That's, that's powerful, you know what I'm saying? Let me, cause it's a yeah. magic like, we do so many images of what people want us to do. Like, I, I remember doing my first art show and getting into like, like I had been doing customized work for 
over 20 years, bro. Like, I have been doing, like, people coming to my shop, tell me what they want. I can engage, and then I can interpret and add my own twist. But at the end of the day, it's what the customer wants. Yeah. So yeah. it took me a long time to be able to find my own voice as an artist because I'm going to tell you honestly, like, for years, I didn't consider myself as an artist. I didn't consider I was just a cat who can... You know, I traveled the country doing airbrushing, doing T-shirts, doing all of that. I was great in, in, in interpreting. That's one of the great things about airbrush artists is that, like, like literally somebody can come to your, to your store, tell you a brief description of what they want, and you can be able to interpret it and break it down into a structure visually that people are happy with. Right? Yeah. And then yeah. our whole perspective is is making a customer happy. So while you're designing it, you're like, yup. I'm looking at the order form. She said she wanted this. This person said they wanted this, this and that. So we constantly interpreting. But we also are adding our own style to it. But one of the things that I realized is, is that the more that I started adding my own style to it, the more that I started to kind of like pulling back from like T-shirt and custom ordering, that kind of like structure, the more that I realized that all during the time that I was doing custom T-shirts, I was still adding my own spunk to it. So now when I add it, when I when I do it from a larger perspective, it's easier for me to be able to adjust the 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 the, the temperature of the market because we've been doing it all all along, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like as as airbrush artists, we always like looking at whether it's a cartoon character, whether it's like what's the new phrasing, what's the new fads. We always are looking at the fads and are adjusting accordingly. <laughs> You know, so even with a lot of your work, you know, I, I, I watched you how you have been able to adjust. You, you, have, you was like one of the first artists that I seen go digital. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, take the airbrushing, not only from the airbrushing perspective, but then adding the iPad and then, you know, doing your photo booths in a digital perspective. Like, when we look at the normal airbrush forums, like, it's all airbrush work. And, like, at this moment in time... Airbrushing is cool, but it's slowly, it, it's it's at the phase to before Aaliyah now. You remember like before that Aaliyah phase, before the portraits came back and airbrushing kind of like came back again. Remember that phase? Yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. was kind of like the long period of time where we were still trying to figure us figure our thing out. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. And then Aaliyah, and then the hip hop came out, and then you start seeing portraits, and then start seeing. Oh, you know, Tupac and all of these portraits and all of that, and Jam Master J, and it kind of like gave airbrushing a new look. And it's the same perspective, like with the tennis shoe industry. Like the tennis shoe industry, you know, saying came back and brought airbrushing. But what happened is, is that you got a lot of new young artists that are using the airbrushing, but due to the fact that the old heads didn't adjust, there's nobody teaching them the basics. Yeah, and, and I think I think with this, with art, with anything, it's the you have to continuously to evolve. If you yeah. still, if you stay in stagnant, still doing unicorns and, and rainbows, <laughs> right? You know that that's not what's going on right now. Right. You want to you want to keep that cuteness, but you have to evolve with it, and you have to you have to you have to move, keep moving. You got to keep it moving. If you, and one of the things I always say is, you're gonna either stay still and get left behind, or you're gonna keep up. You're gonna evolve and, and and stay ahead. Right. Definitely. And uh and then 
well, the other thing was is that I think you have to have multiple revenue streams. Uh, yeah, definitely. definitely. So if you if you uh you know you just can't airbrush t-shirts, you got the you know what happens if your shop closed? Right. How else are you gonna make money? If you ain't got nothing else going on, right? You know, you know, like you selling DVDs, that still can make some money, right? Or not? Like know? right now, we just did. We've been, you know, I just finished up uh, three different uh, art camps, virtual art camps for organizations all over the country. You know, who are who are looking, you know, who are looking to engage young people through art. So, like, even with you know, even with you know, teaching and training, like, like that's like a, that's so important in our industry, man. Like, like as artists, like we so we got to get out of the ego because we, you know, a lot of us are getting older, and if we haven't trained any proteges, it makes our work a lot harder in the future. Yeah. So I, I realized that, like, you know that that was important as well is like I have a responsibility to be able to you know not die with all this talent you gotta share it with somebody you gotta share it man some of them sometimes you know the young people might not be open minded but you gotta be able to, to meet them halfway and they love what we do as artists so we just gotta do the best we can to be able to make sure that we versatile and we stand on top of the game you know yeah, I mean every every blue moon I have somebody coming to I I have somebody coming to my shop and uh they'll ask you know they'll ask me questions and if I'm not busy I will take the time out. I, right. I will take the time out and uh um you know I started I, I'll answer their questions. I started realizing that so the the dude that you know from the guy that was at the mall that told that that kind of told me that he he didn't have the time, right? I, I try I, I remember that as a kid, like wanting to do something, and you go to an adult, and the adult tells you like I ain't got no time to be babysitting you, this and that. So what I ha- what I what I do is a couple of different reasons why it's important. Um, I try to make sure that if I see any young person or anybody in general that I'm responsible enough to have tools that can help them. Like I, I might not have a whole lot of time that I can be able to walk you through this process, but I can be able to create opportunities and tools to be able to help you if you're serious. Meaning like I had an artist calling me from Louisiana, you know, um, his, his mother knew of me because she's an art teacher and her son wanted to get into art. He's a tattoo artist. And he called me up about a couple months ago because he was going to be doing his first outdoor event. And he wanted to get advice on how to do an outdoor live event, you know. And I had to I had to make sure that not only as an artist and as a black artist and an artist of color and an artist who really is built around sharing um, this information that I did the work to be able to make sure that I gave him the tools that he needed to be successful at this, at, at his, uh, at his event. So what I realized throughout these years is that a lot of airbrush artists specifically don't teach because they don't really know how to. Yeah. They really don't know how to share a space with a young person. They don't know. But due to the fact that a lot of us got into airbrush and a lot of us were self-taught that, <clears throat> 
you know, when you look at the air, back in the day when they used to have the airbrush getaways and the airbrush conferences and the airbrush things where you can go take classes, I will always ask myself, why was it so limited of the artists? It was the same artists every year. And then why was it so limited of the lack of artists of color? And yeah. what I started to realize is, is that most artists of color come from, they don't come from a, a, a legacy or a line. Meaning like majority artists, if they, if they Caucasian, um, they normally learn from somebody. They went, they, 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 they came through some kind of structure. It might've been big airbrush. It might've been back in the day through coast airbrush. It might've been West coast airbrush. It might've been airbrush action magazine. It might've been, they bought a, 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 a Craig Fraser DVD back in the day or, or VHS tape back in the day, this and that. But in our industry, most artists of color are self-taught, whether you Hispanic or black. You normally are self-taught because there was no educational components that can teach you how to be able to do airbrushing from uh, uh, a uh, a ethnic-based, cultural-based kind of structure. You know, even to this day, like there's nobody that has a Spanish airbrush uh, how-to video made only in Spanish. When I went out, you know to, what? When I went That's out crazy. to the West Coast and I talked to some of my my, my students who are Hispanic, who barely, you know what I'm saying, speak English, they're like, yo, man, do you know anybody that can be able to put together an airbrush video that's all in Mexican, that's all in Spanish? And so it showed us how far we have to go in the industry. And one of the things that has happened within the last five or six years, and you, you, can, you can, you know what I'm saying, see this, that our industry has shifted because it was only a small group of individuals that was behind the scenes running things, but now it's been giving us the power back to the artist. So it's built around hey. what we want to do with it, you know? Yeah, if you listen to the last one, we, we, we talked about that. We talked about how uh, you know, like to say with the diversity, it's like, you know, when you when you're looking at when you read the magazine, you never saw us. Right. You never saw us, it was, and it was always the same people every time. Every time, you know. But Pat kind of broke it down, and he broke. He, he said, "Well, why this happened?" But you know what? That was it. it went on for twenty five years, and yeah. it's still been the same. It people. is, and it it, it really yeah. it really stops the momentum of Airbrush because what it does, what it, what it has done for a long time is it has dis it, it has. It has disappointed beginner artists. So yeah, let's say if you go to your local art store, due to the fact that the industry has set it up to where you go to your local art store and you spend it anywhere from two hundred to three hundred dollars for an airbrush system, and then you buy the airbrush system, but there's no videos and no continuous education to teach you how to be able to most to, to get the the use out of the tool that you have bought. So what happens is, is that some I hear so many times like, oh, I bought an airbrush. Oh, I bought an airbrush. And then you realize that I think that our industry back in the days was built around uh, kind of like the Walmart structure. Sell, 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 sell the product, sell it, sell it, sell it, sell it, sell it, and not built around 
how to be able to really utilize it, and then also how to be able to make a living off of it. If you notice, any of the older trainings never talked about how to make a living off of it. Yeah. Everybody yeah. talked about how to do photorealistic portraits and how to do, oh, how to do fire the designs and flames and skulls, but nobody talked about how do you price a project? How you monetize How it? do you monetize it? How do you make a living? How do you make a living or how do you retire from airbrushing? Mm. What can you charge for that design? Nobody yeah. talks What's... about what happens when you turn 50 years old and you're ready to, to retire. <laughs> you just, and you just spent all your money. And you just spent all your money and spent all your good years in inhaling paint because nobody told us to wear a mask and you inhale and paint and the companies that we've been buying paint for for a long time never really was built around the artist that was built around making a living and then now you see an artist dying from respirate from respira uh respiratory problems man mm. man 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 mm. so now what we have to do is re relook at where we at you know, we gotta we gotta spend some time relooking at where we at because especially with corona, that whole perspective of that walk in traffic is no more. That would never and, be the same. That changed that changed everything, but we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. So um let's get to the point where, you know, you've been in the business long enough, you know. I I, I thought I was kind of somebody, but I guess I'm not because I, I don't have a I don't have an airbrush named after me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so how you, how you go about that? You get you know you get an airbrush named after you. So let me tell you what the story was. Can I can I be one hundred here? One hundred. Right. I'm gonna be one hundred. So I started to work in schools, and I started work with art teachers, and art teachers started telling me that they was buying all this equipment through certain companies and. They didn't know how to lose. I mean, I'm, I'm literally, bro, doing full tours. Like, Texas is one of, like, my biggest. Uh, yeah, you, you're a pop. You're, hey, Pops, what's up, Pops? <laughs> you and Pops came down here. <laughs> we love some Texas, man. So I started coming down to Texas, and I started dealing with art teachers. And I started dealing with them in their classrooms, and I started getting, I would be doing conferences, and teachers would be like, yo, I got an airbrush. And I, I don't know how it works. I don't know how to use it. I don't know how it works. It broke on me and this and that. And it's expensive and airbrushing is expensive. And how are we going to be able to get young people airbrushing if it's an airbrush that's three, $400 a piece? And this yeah, and that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I sat and I thought about it. And I got tired of teachers bringing me broke airbrushes and bringing me half equipment and i know that the arts the, the arts uh in any school district is the first thing that gets cut so nobody got money for art materials so i started thinking and i'm like yo what if i can create my own airbrush and then use it as a tool to be able to help art teachers because i realized that there were there were hundreds of thousands of young people that i needed to reach and there was no way that i can reach these young people physically, me personally. So I was like, what if I go through the teachers and then out the teachers, if I teach the teachers and they can teach the kids. So I started traveling across the country and I would hear these horror stories about airbrushing. 
Oh, I bought an airbrush in the hose. Or I bought an airbrush and it was clogged. Or I bought an airbrush and it didn't work. Or I bought an airbrush and the kids used it and they didn't clean it right and this and that. So I started to see that it was a big problem. And then I started going to the art stores. I started going to Dick Blick Art Supply Store across the country. And I was like, yo, y'all doing any airbrush class? And it's like, no, no, no. People buy this equipment and they get, excuse my language, pissed off because they didn't spend all this money. And then they can't produce some of the stuff that's inside the magazine. Because, exactly. Because there's no th- there's no continuous education. There's no training. They think it's just- they think it's the gun that do all they the work. Think it's the gun that does all of that. And nobody's teaching airbrushing, you know what I'm saying? Unless you got three hundred or four or five hundred dollars to, to fly to Las Vegas to take a conference or take take a class. And I did that. I did that when I was 17. I, I went to Las Vegas, took an airbrush class, an airbrush getaway, and it's in there. Now and so it gave me a real big perspective at a young, early age that like, yo, something is broken here. It's a whole lot of money getting made. From the from the industries, but something is broken here. So, I'm a, I can be I can be 100 here, right? Hey. Okay. You can say what you want to say, brother. Okay. So, I I I go now in every city. I get I get invited to do the arts and education conference, and and in every city in every town, there's a there's a group of art teachers who organize, and they call themselves an association. So I started doing these organizations and working with these associations to be able to do training for airbrushing at these associations. Make a long story short, I'm going to be straight up. Iwata, one of the companies, was there at one of the conferences. And one of my superintendents in Texas came up to Iwata and was like, yo, how you doing airbrushing and you ain't got airbrush assassin in y'all booth? Like, how you doing anything with dealing with youth? And dealing with arts education, and you ain't got airbrush assassin rocking with you. Now, before then, I had specifically contacted multiple companies because I had the DVD out, and nobody wanted to deal with me. I had maybe a couple different distributors, but it was really nobody wanted to deal with me because I didn't see no value on urban art. So now that I'm touching on the educational component, be worked with Iwata for a period of time and I was in me and my father had drove to Sac what is it Sacramento California San Diego I remember this like yesterday um Iwata had called me and my called me up and was like hey yo we want you to come out um we would like you to be a a, a featured artist at our booth at um, in uh, San Francisco at the Arts and Education Conference. So me and my dad literally drove, bro. I had a, um, I had a, a, uh, a Chevy Venture uh, van. You remember the, you know, the Chevy Ventures? They're like a, like a, like a grandma van, like a passenger. <laughs> no, no, no. So I had a, I had a Chevy Venture van. Ain't no box truck. It ain't no, ain't no cargo van. Ain't nothing. It's like a passenger van, like. Something your grandma would be, be riding in. I packed that passenger van up, and me and my father drove from Missouri to Texas. From Texas, we drove all the way to California, to San, San Francisco, right? And at the time, I wanted to pitch Iowata that I wanted to come out with my own airbrush. I wanted to pitch it to him, right? Uh-huh. So I'm going to be straight up. It was me. 
some heads of Iwata, and it was another one of their main artists that was there. And I remember, bro, we was at a seafood restaurant, man. They, they took us out, they took me and my dad out to dinner, and they're like, Yeah, so tell us about urban art and how can we, you know, how can Iwata line up? How can we do this deal? So I break it down to him like, yo, I want to come out with my own airbrush. And I feel like that the urban art is the movement. This was, this was probably like, this probably had to be about eight years ago, not close to 10 years ago, maybe between six and 10 years ago. This is before the, 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 the tennis shoe industry has blown up, you know, like, uh, you know, Angel, Angel, the, the t-shirt, I mean, the, the paint, the paint, the shoe paint. Yeah. The shoe yeah, paint. yeah. I was, I was, I was sending, I was telling Iwala and create text like, yo, if y'all don't come out with no shoe paint and y'all don't come out with no urban art, uh, uh, a project or no urban art specific, uh, 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 pr- uh, 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 product, then y'all was going to lose. I was spitting those days. So we had this, we had this, I remember this because me and my dad, you know, they took us to the seafood joint. We had ordered lobster and shrimp and, 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 uh, what's the, the squid and, and all kind of octopus. Oh, calamari. Yeah. Calamari <laughs> and Heineken. I know you like Heineken. And, uh, yeah, that's my beer. <laughs> so we having a good old time, right? And I pitched this to them and they sit there and they looked at me like they didn't know what I was talking about. Like, yo, the urban market, working with youth, working with tennis shoes, working with this whole momentum, this and that, telling them my history, my story, this and that. They didn't get it. They totally didn't get it. I remember me and my dad ended up walking. We would, we ended up driving us to uh, San Diego where we were so broke, we stayed in a Motel 6 downtown. It's about two, about three blocks away from the from the restaurant where they, they, they hired, they, hired they, uh, they took us out to dinner to. And that night, me and my dad walked to our Motel 6 hotel, and we really we realized that the industry wasn't ready. And we had to yeah. be self-sufficient to create our own momentum, just like hip-hop, just like Russell Simmons, just like, you know, Rockaware, just like Def Jam. We had to create our own self-sufficient industry. And at that time, artists of color wasn't trying to hear that because it was just like the music industry Everybody just wanted to be published in a magazine. They didn't care about nothing. Every, every artist just wanted to be published in a magazine. It was like we had, you know, we had the Airbrush uh, magazine just like we had the Source magazine and Double XL, right? And and, yeah. and and like hip-hop artists didn't care about nothing but being published in that magazine just like Airbrush artists to this day. Because we had been, you know, excuse my language, we had been shitted on for so long that only thing that artists really wanted was recognition. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, to, be, to be published. To be published, right? That was the biggest shit for us as artists. It's like, oh, let me be published. But by that time, I had already created the hiphopairbrush.com. Remember the Neem? Hip-Hop Airbrush Neem website where, like, I had created a website where artists of color was, like, it was, like, the first website where artists of color can kind of, like, connect the network way before, like, what, Facebook. So make a long story short, me and my dad walked to that hotel room realizing that, like, if we didn't create our own uh, business uh, strategy, then we was going to continuously be a slave to the industry. So that night, man, I put together a master plan and big up to Mike Learn. Mike Learn, you know Mike Learn, right? 
Yeah, I remember Mike Learn. I remember that's, that that's one of the people that you should definitely in, to uh, to definitely interview, because Mike Learn was the first airbrush artist that I seen that independently had his own airbrush, which was the Mojo. Remember the Mojo? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah the Mojo. I remember that. Right, and and I I actually called Mike Learn up, and Mike Learn talked to me man for about 30 minutes man and like talked to me about how to position myself i talked to mike learn and then i talked to um another uh got his name uh another guy who was in skulls and flames and all of that but mike learn really opened up the door and he told me how to pretty much set up a distribution deal so um i did my deal with uh pache because i had oh, so much with him yeah, um, I was gonna say go back to Pache. Go back to the history, man. Like I knew that they was first of all, like I knew that I needed a I needed an industry and I needed a company that 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 was American made because I knew that dealing with anything that you have to import, you're gonna have a problem. And I knew that Iwata was importing like they import ninety percent of the stuff that they got. So I knew that I didn't imports because I knew that like I wanted to go to market fast and I knew that if I was going to have to go through China or Japan it was going to be a big problem with trying to go to market fast and I wasn't to the level where I can go international so I called up Pache and Pache you know they old school they've been around for over a hundred years they, they they are the oldest airbrush company in America yeah and I remember when I was a kid, 14 years old, going to a factory and seeing airbrushes being created and made. I couldn't say the same thing about other companies. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't say yeah. that. And at the time, make a long story short, straight up, I'll be honest with you, I was going through a, a big situation with my daughter. My daughter, you know what I'm saying, was probably like, she was a kid, and I had to go back and forth to Milwaukee every month just to be able to see her. You know what I mean? I was going through a divorce and all kind of stuff. So I was in Milwaukee like every month. And Milwaukee is right next to Chicago. So I was I was like literally like, yo, I'm, I'm, I'm in Chicago every month. So why not do a deal with, with somebody in Chicago? Because I can do product, I can do, I can do product um, quality control. I can be able to control all of the things if there's any problems with the guns. So I dealt with Pache, man. And that was like a revolutionary move for me, man. Yeah, and that's a great thing. But you know, it was only one thing that I, I I learned. I learned is that if you give somebody, if you you go to somebody, right, and you tell them your idea, yep, and they got more money than you, yeah, they gonna steal your idea. They can, they can, they can steal your the idea. Only, the only thing that made it separate from me from anybody else is I had a market that nobody else could get into. See, they, they didn't yeah. care about me when I was independent. But when I came up into the arts education component, which is a multi-million dollar industry, they had to pay attention. Yeah. And I learned I learned that the hard way. You could tell somebody your idea and they could even move fast. If they can move faster than you, yep. or they can steal your idea, they're going to do it. Yep. Yeah, true that. Hey, so you also wrote a book. Yeah, man. You, wait, first of all, I, I do own your your airbrush. What? And I do own your and I do own your brush. What? Your book. Just so you know that. Okay. So I, I want you to know that. Okay. And I think you signed my book. Oh, uh, just to put it out there that you that you a uh, real deal Holyfield. Yeah, yeah. 
So I ain't just talking about it. I'm, I'm real about it. I own your airbrush, and I do own your book. Right on. And I do own I do own some of your DVDs. Right on. To be honest with you. Appreciate that, man. Appreciate that. Yeah. So we have to support each other, brother. Yeah, man. The book was a a, a powerful move as well for me, um, because the book was healing. It, I you know I was it was it was it was healing for me, you know. And then also I got tired of working with. Um, artists or working with young people and then I didn't have a tool that I can share my testimony with them. So the book is just like the airbrush is just like any other tool that is used as a tool to be able to share inspiration uh, through art with the world. Um, we all have a story to tell. We all have a, uh, a, 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 a rags to riches um, opportunity and a story to be able to share with the world. Some people think it's inspirational. Some people don't think of it. Um, I didn't think my story was inspirational until I started working with youth and I realized that vulnerability builds value. Um, and the more that I make myself vulnerable um, dealing with the world, dealing with young people as an artist in general, um, the more that I be honest with the world, the more that I be honest through my art, the more that I be honest as an individual, the more that I see that I bring value to the world. So I wanted to write a book to share my story and to be able to uh, create an opportunity where the book can go places that I would never go. You know, um, my book is on Amazon. My book is, you know, that book has been in Africa, Australia, uh, all over the world. And um, the book is a tool that I give to any uh, person that is down. Like right now, that book is, a, is, is selling really well because during, you know, uh, adversity, that book um, has been a testimony for my life and it's been a tool to be able to help and inspire others. So To Live, To Create, To Inspire was my first book, How Art Saved My Life. Uh, to Live, To Create, To Inspire, I call it LCI. Um, how art saved my life, and then my 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 second book, and I got multiple like training manuals and other books that you can look on Amazon. But my second book is uh, the Artist Success: Ten Steps to Be Able to uh, Create Success in Your Life. And I wrote that oh, book nice. a couple years ago, and that book is right now also very strong right now, especially what we all going through with um, you know, this this this. this the different changes in the world, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you know what? What I learned when I was younger and I was in the military, before we started doing all, you know, we, we lived, you lived a crazy life. And it's like, if, if anybody was to read your story, would it would it be interesting? Mm. You know? And that's one of the things they said. If your life was a book, would anybody want to read it? So, right. I mean, you got two. What you said, you got two books. Yeah, I got two books. I got the Artist Success. Uh, we also, I got probably if you go to my Amazon, you will see at least five books. Because uh, wait, what's it? Let's wait a minute. Let's put your Amazon out there. What's that? Okay. Just uh, what is just it? Go to Amazon and just type in Malcolm McCray. Oh, all right. And, and it'll, it'll have both books. You'll have both books on there, but then I have I have a sketchbook series that I've been uh, producing for the last couple of years. So you'll see. I have a sketchbook series, which is pretty much uh, 15 years of all of my art that I put into a sketchbook. And the reason that I did that 
is I have sketchbook volume one, volume two, and then this year, probably um, within the next 30 days, I'll have volume three produced. I'm going to be pr producing that. I'm doing a limited run uh, on a short run that I'm printing in the, uh, 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 right now just to get like a couple of them out. But then I'll have the full one on Amazon uh, prepared by the end of uh, by the beginning of October, the end of October. But it's built around. So I got the I got the live the creative inspire how art saved my life by Malcolm McRae. That's the first. That's my like testimony, my bi uh, uh, biographical book. And then the second one is the art of success: ten steps to be able to uh, create success in your life. And that's just built around my story and then all of the things I was telling you about the entrepreneurs and things up to my life uh, up to this point that have been able to be great tools to be able to, because I got, I got tired of people asking me for like advice, like, Hey, can you got advice? I'm, I'm an artist or I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur. You got any advice? So I put it all into a book and it's a great motivational tool. But then I also made the artist success uh, for students. And that's like a workbook. And that's like a, it's not only for, 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 for college or K through 12, but it's also for entrepreneurs and adults as well, because it's a workbook built around helping you create a success goal map. And when I say that, that's built around like asking you questions built around like, what's your passion? How does your passion um, deter you every day? Your passion inspire you every day? How do you make that transition from going from a passion and an idea to creating a, a business from that? How do you go from finding mentors? So this whole book is like 10 steps of how to be able to create success in your life. And then from there, I started working with youth and I wanted to, I did an artist success uh, boot camp where I started working with youth and adults on showing them how to be able to create success in their lives so i created an artist success uh training or i called it a, a, a like a at home study guide and yeah that one you will see on there as well and then um and then i have the artist the art of airbrushing which is which is another book where i put together like a whole book built around how to airbrush and all of that so i got about five five different books on there and then the books go along with videos i have all the artist success university on my website that goes along with the book so everything is kind of like you know is kind of like underneath an umbrella you know what you know what i'm, I'm sitting here listening to you right mm -hmm. and what's crazy to me is that you know you hear all these other names when you mention airbrush right yeah you hear all these other names i'm not gonna say the name you, yeah. you mentioned you hear all these other names yeah. but they're not doing nothing like what you're doing, and you, what you're doing is basically to it, it's 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 for the the evolution of airbrushing is to help others, and it's to bring, uplift somebody to, and to, to bring it up. You don't hear that from these other people. It's just like, oh, look at look what I did, right? You know, oh, look at this, you know, and. If you see this elaborate piece of artwork that someone does, where are you selling it at? You right. Know, you're not. You're not. That's not. You're not. You're not selling it in no shop. Right. You're making a. You know, no money from it. But what you're doing is like you're not just. It's not just. 
you're, you're, you're showing somebody, you're teaching somebody, you're showing everything that you, what you're talking about is, is, is uplifting the, the craft. I have a responsibility, man. We all have a yeah, responsibility. Yeah, yeah, but see, you know what? But if you if you look through the names, yeah. you know, you, you know, your name is not going to be like highlighted at the top. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. But the people who's doing stuff that's not really sellable in, in a shop, name is is highlighted. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. And and that's the part of diversity that we're we're trying to get a. You know, I know I, some airbrushes. And I, I know I'm, some airbrushes. I'm, I'm kind of glad that they, they slept on me. Nah, fuck that, dog. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, forget I'm that, dog. I'm gonna tell you why. I'm gonna tell you why. Like, I've I've talked to so many airbrush industry dudes. One dude talked to me was like, "Man, how did I how did I miss you, man? You've been consistently grinding and oh, boom." But like. Russell Simmons did an interview. He's you know he's a guy that I look up to when it looks at when I look at business structure and, and business mentality. Russell Simmons said when he started Dev Jam, all they had to do was if they would have gave him a job, he would have shut up. All they had to do was give him a job. You know what I'm saying? If they would have gave him a job, the black guy over top of the black music, then he would have stopped a long time ago. But for every no that I got, every every smirk, every email that I got. Oh, that's I, motivation, ain't it? Every every potential that they did deny me really backfired on them because all the work that I did is I didn't need a magazine. I didn't need things. So I'm able to stand on my like like I, I got an email list of over ten thousand clients, man. So I don't, I don't really like if I if I would if I would have waited for somebody to 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 say, you know, like artists are always waiting for somebody to uh, to show them recognition or to be able to uh, recognize them. Oh, I found this hidden artist. You know, if you look at our history as far as whether it's a musician or physical Basquiat or any other artist of color, it's always a sense of like. Oh man, I found this starving artist, right? So I never got that, and that's cool because I don't have the hangups of ever wanting that. My whole mo- momentum has always been about Fubu for us by us. So it's always yeah. been about like I know I always knew I can do a better job on designing an airbrush than an airbrush company because I airbrush. You know what I'm saying? You physically put your hands on it, yeah. Like most of these companies don't never do the work. So I'm like, okay, so y'all just doing marketing. One thing about social media and the way that things have 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 twisted, and that's why I'm so, I want to tell every artist, like, this is our time. Because at one time, we used to always have representation. We didn't have Instagram. I come from the age, like, I'm the age of seeing Dial Up and seeing, you know what I'm saying, uh, oh, and seeing... It's seeing all of the internet. So I remember before when artists didn't have a, a, a plateau where they can be able to produce and be able to represent themselves. We was always rep, 
represented through magazines or other or, or curators of art ma- or or curators of art shows or a museum or whatever. You know, you always have somebody representing the artist. The artist is never representing himself. So with with Instagram and with Facebook and with social media and with the internet, it gave an opportunity to me to go directly to, to the consumer and I can represent myself. So at one, at one time where I would depend on a magazine to publish me or an editor to do the legwork or to put, produce me and push me out there, it gave me an opportunity of like, okay, if I was if I would have dealt with the normal perspective of dealing with the middleman, I would have never been able to build a fan base that was direct to my consumer. So what that what that does is is like if I even have a notion of a product that I want to drop, it's just like independent music. I can drop it and stick around how I want to scale it, and I have to deal with the 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 uh, the the it's the bull that comes along with this industry. I can do it by my, myself independently because I already have a market that I've been building for the last fifteen years of my career that I can yeah. get directly to, compared to going, you know, what I'm saying, on, you know. Uh, uh, going through a magazine. So one of the things that I did with immediately, and I want to tell every artist is I got my business structure together. I didn't wait for nobody. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't look at uh, waiting to sign a deal. I didn't wait for no art studio, no art magazine or no airbrush, no airbrush magazine to contact me. I went directly to the consumer and I went grassroots and it might've took me longer to do it. That's why, like, you know, people be like, oh, man, you've been doing it for this. I don't know. People in the industry don't might, might not, not know, uh, might not know what I've been doing, but my consumers and my and my students know me, and those are the individuals that's been able to carry Airbrush Assassin into 2020, and it's also going to carry me through Corona and all of the different adversities because I deal directly with the people. So I, I don't have a yeah. young man. Yeah, yeah. Because, like I said, the uh, the uh, the the all the hype, it, it doesn't matter. Like I said, I know some airbrushers that that's that is under the radar. That's colder than half of the people. That's you got you got very Falcon down here, right? That dude, man, will kill half the people. Not kill, right? You know what I'm saying? But he, right? The, his artwork would kill half the top people that's on the thing. Exactly. But you don't hear about him. And he, he's low key and he's doing his thing. Right. And you know, everybody everybody down here know about him, but he's not he's not the mainstream. You but know that's, what I'm saying? That's why it's so important, you know, what why why it's so important what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? Because what you are doing a whole new standard, like what I've been doing. And when we say set, setting the standard we ain't saying like the, the old way was just like, oh, let me let me just give you a whole lot of paint and let me give you a whole lot of product and then let me let me uh coerce you on to doing some videos or, or or some classes and this and that. Now it's like the power is in the hand of the artist. So just like you got your own show and you're able to bring artists like me to be able to share the story and, and so on. Um, it's it's so important because what people don't understand specifically about urban art, you know, I am standing on the shoulders of the giants. There were people like 
you know, the Shirt Kings, you know, if you, you know, for all of the, the, the listeners out there who don't know what the Shirt Kings is, Google that. You know, Dapper, yeah. Dan, Dapper Dan in New York created a movement of young airbrush artists that was able to produce urban art um, and a hip-hop uh, momentum built around the Shirt Kings. And those Shirt Kings resonated through Detroit, and they was able to, to, to make it through Detroit. And I remember as a kid, the first perspective of seeing urban art, urban airbrushing, was built around the legacy of individuals like the Shirt Kings and Fellinim in Detroit. Like, seeing photo backdrops, like, y'all, you know, you from Texas and you from the South, but up North, like, I remember as a kid hearing about these infamous guys out of Detroit, you know, that was make that was doing backdrops and hearing about these infamous, you know, airbrush artists from New York and, and so on. So like I, I come from a legacy of when we think about urban airbrushing, urban design, urban art, I come from a legacy and I stand on the shoulders of individuals who have passed who have paid, paved the way for, you know, artists like myself. And I have I like like Man, I have a a, a, a a responsibility. I take this shit very seriously. Like, I have a responsibility, like, for all of my students, for anybody that does airbrushing or urban art to be able to pass on the torch because nobody was there to pass on the torch to me. I'm self-taught. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, self, I'm self-taught, You too. self-taught. Most artists of color are self-taught. So, you know... Um, I have a responsibility. So when I came into the game, I came into the game realistically looking at to make change. And even though, you know, and it's funny, I'm going to put it out there. All of the companies that we deal with, every company that we deal with about art materials and airbrush supplies and all of that, you know what I'm saying, are Caucasian individuals who have been running the industry for over 15 to 20 years. And when I came into the game, able to make sure that it was like I want to I want to be able to order my supplies from a Hispanic airbrush artist a Puerto Rican airbrush artist I want to be able to I want to be able to order my supplies from a black uh artist of color uh, airbrush artist or artist you know who is selling me my supplies you know what I'm saying because I know at the end of the day that my money is gonna go further because for the last 25 years I've been spending my money I've been spending my hard-earned cash on supplies and spending my hard-earned cash towards uh, individuals who have been taking my money and not um, diversifying my the market and not have been looking at how to... Like, for instance, I'm going to be straight up. I spent... I probably spent have, have spent thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars with airbrush paint companies who, at the end of the day has never taught me how to wear a respirator. Dude, I just, you don't even want to know how much money I just spent. Right, right? Yeah. So, so nobody has, has even been teaching us how to be able to be healthy in our industry. So now we're going into the next generation of artists and we're starting to see that our OGs, we call it original gangsters, I'm going to say, you know, original gangsters. We saying original. Been painting like you know individuals who I remember reading articles about fifteen years ago, who are now catching cancer, who are now 
physically not able to paint because of we not knowing what's being put into the chemical, the chemicals that's being put into the paints that every day we breathe. So yeah, when we was always assuming we was on the thought that it was safe. Yeah, you we know, all thought it was. We safe. were told it. We were told anything different. But look at the. But now that I'm getting in hardcore, like I just became a Midwest distributor for Montana spray paint, right? And I've been using spray paint now for like the last, uh, I would say, three years. The last three years, I've been doing a lot of my murals in spray paint. And I, I became a distributor. And it's so funny now, I'm a distributor for a spray paint company. And I've been dealing with uh, with spray-based uh, industries for a long time. And I, I really applaud the graffiti spray paint industry on teaching the generation on how to wear a mask. Yeah, they wear respirators. If you they see a lot of if you see a lot of video, they wear respirators. Everybody wearing respirators. But see, we were always told that it's a, a water-based exactly. if you look at the MSDS, it's a water-based paint that has uh no toxic right. and, and it, it won't harm you. So that's what we were always been told. Right. So you're not thinking about um, inhaling this shit. <laughs> yeah, you know. So it's not. It's not a. But uh, it's not. It's but, not. It's not something that we think about every day. But just imagine how that's affecting. Say if you've been airbrushing for thirty years or twenty years. You know what I'm saying, and you never had a like. I know artists. You know what I'm saying, who ain't never wore a respirator. You know what I'm saying? That I know that when I when I talk to them, I didn't hear them coughing. You know what I'm saying? I talk to them, yeah. and I know that they, they one of my OGs. They my elders. So I know they've been painting for, for over 30 years. I've been painting for over 20-something years. So they OGs in the game, and I hear them coughing. And I hear them <coughs> <coughs> that whole <coughs> you know what I'm saying? And you don't realize that damn, all this time I've been inhaling this shit in my lungs. And nobody has taught me how to be able to create, take a box fan and put filters on it. Or nobody has talked about how to be able to wear a respirator when you're painting these water-based chemicals. You know well, I, I've, I, to be honest with you, now I've seen I've seen a lot of people who build an easels who put the, the fan with the filter yeah. and all that to filter away yeah. from you. Yeah, but I mean, we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about if you're not we're talking about hood painters. If you ain't established, right? If you yeah, ain't established, <laughs> if you ain't yeah. established and you just painting, you new, right? Yeah, you new to the game, right? Right now, we got new artists that's probably listening to this, or even or or even established artists that's been listening to this, right? And we know that, like, we know that, like, what, what what really started to really make me realize it is, is I started doing consulting. I came to your airbrush shop, right? Uh-huh. And I traveled to airbrush shops all over the country. And every airbrush shop that I would go to, there's a black film over top of everything. There's a overspray black, gray 
overspray film over top of everything. And you inhaling all of that. And you inhaling all of that. So some of the established guys might have been able to get filters and fans and all of that. But if you're just a new young painter, ain't nobody talking about that. If you're not listening to nobody and you're doing I mean, it on let's your just own, say yeah. you let's, say, let's just say you went to your local art store and you bought an airbrush. And you, yeah, they're not telling you nothing like that. And on the back of the on the back of the paint that you bought, they just talk about make sure that you heat press and make sure that you set the paint, this and that. But ain't nobody talking about that. Yeah, the safe, the true safety of everything. I mean, I mean, if we're gonna be in this game, you know what I'm saying? We got, you know, you're gonna live and die, you know. So let's just be straight up. So this is where education came on, came on, and that's when I started to realize, like, yo. I got to educate. I got to do my part to educate. So the book, the DVDs, the airbrush, that was all part of that perspective. And that's what I continue to do to this day. Well, maybe we need to get some of these big wigs or the people who, the mainstream people, to get with these these paint companies. I'm going to tell you straight up. Has anybody ever did a report on how many airbrush artists are catching cancer? Mm. I've never, I've never seen it. Right. Has any so this shit is going on our lungs, so our lungs breathe an air filter, just like when I when I airbrush, I take a box fan, I put filters on both sides, left, you know, on both sides of the box fan. So I know that that filter is picking up dust. I know when I wear a mask, it's all kind of dust inside that. I might not be able to see it at nineteen. I might not be able to see it at twenty. I might not be able to see it at thirty. But at 40, 50, 60, 60 70 years old. 50, you know what I'm saying? Those are the kind of situations that I realized that, like, if I was just a consumer, then, yeah, if I was just a consumer, then I wouldn't give, I wouldn't care. But, you know what? I just did a, I just did a bunch of, uh, I did maybe 50 shirts, and they had lime green in it. Mm-hmm. Changed some filter in my, in my fan. Right. That thing was solid. Man. I was trying to change it out the other day. It was solid green. <laughs> So you got to think about it. If it's going up and it's going into that fan, you have to think what you're inhaling while you paint because you, you're right there in front of it. You're right there. And so you they, can smell yeah, maybe we, Yeah. You and you, and that's it. something maybe we need to, as artists, we need to get with these companies and tell them, hey, well, maybe you need to put a warning on your label. Right. Like spray paint and what you need warning. to do. Yeah, I, it should have a warning. I got two hundred. I mean, when it, 200 cans of spray paint just came in today. Montana, right? Every every can, every time I place an order, they send me a warning perspective of like warning. This could be respiratory issues. When you buy a pack of cigarettes, there's a warning logo on it, right? Because even if it got filters in it, then it's not. I ain't trying to say that it's bad. Is that? But we inhaling this stuff, and we just gotta be on. We just got to be aware of what we got going on, the chemicals and so on. But, you know, to make a long story short, those are the things and those are the ways and those are the reasons why I created and I've been consistently creating products that are built around, uh, that are for artists by artists. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, some of us just, we we ready to just try to figure out how to make that money, make that money, make that money. A lot of us are because, you know what I mean, there's no education. Yeah. We're thinking about everything else. 
one thing is that I learned, man, by being in this business is I studied uh, other artists and I studied other, other artists' uh, industries. Let's say, for instance, the tattoo industry, right? Okay, so I got a good friend of mine. He, his name is Maya Belly. If any artist is out there, like, Google this brother. His name is Maya Belly. He's an artist of color. And he he, he, he did a documentary called uh, Color in Between the Lines. And it's built around black tattoo artists. And... um. And he's he, he's one of my great inspirations. But you can go to my YouTube page and see this in, this interview. And I was in Atlanta and I interviewed him. And one of the things that I realized in the, in the tax industry is they have a a system as far as an apprentice an apprentice an apprentice uh, kind of like sister where. You can have been a, a, an apprentice for so long, and then from that you become a professional artist, and you open up your shop built around your apprenticeship. And what I realize is is that every industry has an apprenticeship program, except airbrushing. When you go around the country, let's just say that you wanted to be a tattoo artist, you got two different things. You can be a scratcher, which is like a tattoo artist who just self-taught, didn't learn from anybody, and just decided to go renegade. Or you can be an you you apprenticed underneath somebody's name. So, for instance, my students, let's say, for instance, one of my students decided to Texas, right? And he comes into your shop. He's like, yo, I want an airbrush. And and so on. Oh, I do airbrush, and I wanted to know if you were hiring me, right? And he he shows a certificate to say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I am an apprentice of Malcolm Airbrush Assassin McCray." So first thing you're gonna do is be like, "Oh, okay. Well, if you studied underneath Assassin, then you know basic dagger stroke. I know I can be able to put you on basic structure." Because I know that you apprenticed underneath Assassin, so I know he taught you basic structure. So what happens is then you hire him, he works for you, you teach him, he works, and maybe one day he open up his own shop. And then he starts the apprenticeship program all over again. That's in the tattoo industry. In our industry, we gotta we gotta create the same kind of structure. We got to create the same kind of structure to where a young kid comes through um, your in your uh, air graphics and they just so happen to move to Missouri or contact me through Missouri. I know that you have taught them the basics. So by the time I get them, they can be able to continue on. That's the reason why our industry is failing because we're not teaching the next generation. So, for instance, like you, you've been at your mall for how long? Probably about sixteen years. How many? How many artists have you tried to hire? Man, I know at one point I had five artists underneath me. Exactly. How many artists yeah. have hung in there, stayed true to the game, and was able to take it and make you proud? Everything that you taught them and make you proud. And say, hey man, air graphics, I was able to take that to the next level. How many artists? I think all of them stopped. Right. Because we don't have that structure. If you look at body piercing, 
if you look at tattooing, if you look at body art, if you look at graffiti, if you look at cutting hair, if you look at any extension, because all these all these individuals start off with airbrush. It's so funny. I go into a barber shop and a barber start off airbrush. But due to the fact yeah, that he you know what's crazy? Picture, he got into barbering. I go to a tattoo shop, a tattoo artist start off airbrushing. But due to the fact he had no continuous education, he had no guru, he had no trainer, he got into tattooing. So what happens is, is that they all go into these different mergers, these different industries, but they always come back to airbrushing because it's the most quickest, effective, trendy-ish uh, way to be able to create content immediately. And as now, artists, I, I can say I had one artist, his, we called him Grasshopper. Uh-huh. I know from the beginning that he wasn't going to be a regular, he wasn't going to be regular because he asked questions that none of the others asked me. Mm. You know, why do you get this much money? Why why you only pay me this much money for everything I do? Mm. And he transferred into a, uh, an ab- uh, tattooist. Right. And he what? got, he actually, he's my tattooist now. If I can ever get a damn appointment. It, because it now he got fancy. He it ain't your boy now. Michael, is it? No, 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 okay. no. It's a, uh, uh, it's Grasshopper. It's a Sebastian. He okay. started his own. He got a. It's a. Uh, his place is called uh, Mag. No, no, I'm gonna say Maga. It's a uh, uh, damn. It's also an M. I ain't gonna, I don't want. I can't think. Of yeah, that, you, you don't want to say it wrong. You rather not say it. Yeah, wrong. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he uh, he's my tattooist now. He he transferred from. Airbrushing to tattoos. Yeah, and he, he actually messaged me not too long ago and said, "Man, I see what you're talking about. How different it is, and how hard it is, and dealing with people and having these people work for you." Hey, people because, always ask me like, "Why don't you get into uh, tattooing?" And I'm like, "Why would I want to get into tattooing? It's just like airbrushing. I got to physically be there to make some money." Yeah, I don't, I don't. As an entrepreneur, I ain't trying to physically be nowhere to make some money. Well, I saw so I just saw somewhere some somewhere the other day it was like the only way you really you know you're making money or you're successful is you're not at work making money. Right. So if you ever watch my if you get a chance, go to my YouTube page, Malcolm McCray on Airbrush Assassin. It's a, it, it's it's a uh it's a um an interview with this brother, like I said, um Maya Bailey. If you get a chance, check it out. And Maya Bailey like, like, straight up, I'm gonna be real. Fucked up my whole mentality as far as an artist, by off of the conversation that we had on the interview. And I asked him, I was like, bro, so what do you say to individuals who tell you you doing too much as an artist? Because he he's a tattoo artist, he's a gallery owner, he's creating a lot of different uh, art renaissance in Atlanta. And this and that, I was asking, and I was like, man, so what do you tell? people that tell you like you don't you trying to do too much because i ran into that people would be telling me you know even some of my mentors be like man you trying to do too much what you trying to do you're going to be an artist or you're going to be an author or you're going to be a a speaker or what are you trying to do what are you trying to do too much and one of the things that i realized is is that not only in my career versatility has been my my winner but on the, on the other aspect of it is like the new future of everything has been is built around like 
how to be able to control your time. So like I'm a, like you time know, is a move. I'm a beast when it comes to time, right? Me and you've been going back and forth trying to get this interview for over two. Oh man, <laughs> no, I, I I ain't gonna lie. I like man, this dude being prima down on me, man. I can't. I'm, hard. I'm like man, it's hard to get him nailed down. <laughs> but you know, it, it is what it is because I know how it is about time. It's just time, time man. Time is is a move. Time, like one of my like one of, like one of my great mentors, uh, has uh, he told me he's like yo. Time is one of the things that you will never get back. You will never get that time back. So, especially at my age and our age, it's like how I spend my time, like being clear about how I spend my time, you know, what what I decide to do and what I decide not to do. And for me, as I become more successful as an artist, I realize that for me, it's only my own 24 hours, brother. It's like, like for me, it was like, like, I want to own my own 24 hours. I want to make my whole agenda, my whole week is built around my own agenda. So, like, for me, like, uh, Maya Bailey was one of the first individuals on, on, on that interview. If you guys see it, you will see it. Like, I asked him, I was like, man, how do you deal with being a tattoo artist? How do you deal with being a, being a painter? How do you deal with being a sculptor? How do you deal with being, you know, a gallery owner? And one of the things that he broke it down to me was like, yo, man. I organize my time. So like on Monday, you know, I might, you know, I might do tattooing on Tuesday. I'm spending time with my family. I'm being an ultimate dad on Wednesday. You know, I might take a couple of different comp- uh, uh, appointments, but I'm charging $500 as a deposit for every appointment. So when every time that I deal with a client, I feel, I feel honored to be able to deal with this client. Cause they put a $500 deposit down. You know what I mean? So, it, it, it gave a whole different perspective of what it meant to be an artist. And once I started building my life built around, I want my own, I, I own my own 24 hours. Then it was like, okay, every day, every time, every week. That's why, that's why me and you have been going back and forth. Cause it's like, third, like on Thursday, like today, I spent all day doing what I'm doing with you now, like doing podcasts. Like I had, I had interviews all morning. I had meetings all morning through Zoom. I did all of that today on Thursday because I knew that like I, a Thursday is going to be our day where I was going to be able to do all my online stuff. And me and you, me and you had uh, uh, put down Thursday as the day. So I moved every online meeting, every online interview to, 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 to uh, today because I knew to own all of my other Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday time and I didn't want to be able to diversify my time or take anything away from other projects that I had going on. So I diversify my time built around a weekly schedule and most artists don't do that and I learned that from dealing with successful artists because if you don't own your own 24 hours then somebody else owns it and if somebody else owns it or another part of your business owns it, then you can't put the time uh, into other things that you that you want to put into. So I tell every artist, like, first of all, to be successful, own your twenty four hours, man. Figure out. I, I I think one of my my main things is that I get on Christopher Riley about is that he he holler about oh my time my time my time. And 
I guess I'm not, I, I don't know. I'm not like that. It's like, I can do something quickly for me, for me, my, 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 I'm different. Than, I guess I'm different than everybody else. It's like, I, uh, my time is like, okay, well, it'll take me this much to do this. So I, it don't matter. I, I, but maybe I need to think about my time. I mean, time is money. Like I charge clients built around time. Yeah. 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 It is. Hey, well, that's I mean, a point. I mean, we all do that. Hey, hey. That's part of airbrushing. That's that's airbrushing one on one. I mean, that's part of art. I mean, that's part of entrepreneurship. Period. Like, yeah, because hey, if you if you slow, then guess what? At the end of the night, you ain't gonna have as much money as that dude over there that's knocking them out. Exactly. And then we all got families. That's the that's the most important thing to me. Is like, like family time. Like right now, like I'm doing this interview with you, and it's like you know eight o'clock my time, right? This is my yeah. time that I'm normally with my wife, chilling out, decompression, all of that. So, of course, you know, I made time in my schedule for this time. But what I'm saying is, is ran into so many artists that were maybe somewhat successful as artists, but they were horrible fathers or they were horrible uh, husbands or they were horrible business owners. You know what I'm saying? And I, I, I remember consistently going to shops, going into business, being an entrepreneur. You know, my first business, I was like, yo, I had my daughter when when I was young. She's she 18 now. I had her when I was, you know, 20-something years old. I didn't have the time to be the best father that I could possibly be because I was running a business. You know what I'm saying? Me and my son had that, me and my son had that conversation. I was like, dude. How you think you had those shoes you had on? How you think you got those, <laughs> you know, those pants you had on? If I was sitting around looking at you all day long, you know, we both would have been wearing regular shoes. Exactly. So, but now since he's a man, he grown, he's grown now. Right. He he understand that hey, you can't have nice things if you ain't carrying your ass to work. Time is money, man. Time is I money. I don't care what business you in, what structure. Time is money. Whether it's time from your family like i charge my customers from time away from my family if i gotta deal with a client or deal with a, a project or whatever and it's gonna be more hassle with inside my life and my lifestyle the client is gonna pay more why because you're not necessarily paying me for you're not paying me an hourly wage you paying me for the 40 something years that it took me to be able to learn this craft and my time is very valuable. So I try to be able to make sure that time is like the most ultimate because we can't get that back. Once we did, that's, all, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Hey, so let's move along a little bit. Yes, sir. Because uh, we only got, it's, it, we've been here for hours. You're going to have to do change. some editing. AKA, you yeah, gonna I'm going to have, I'm have to work it out, brother. <laughs> uh, so you can tell us about your organization that you got. Um, so um, maybe about two years ago, um, I had a vision to be able to do this uh, nonprofit uh, organization called Pollination Station. And Pollination Station was built around um, creating opportunities for artists and creative individuals, but at the same time, um, uh, social uh, injustice opportunities to be able to use art as a tool to be able to inspire the world. So um, it started off as a, um, a problem and an issue of like not having space 
And then, like, last two years ago, two and a half years ago, me, my dad, and my wife, um, I bought a bus. My wife didn't even know about it. Nobody knew about it. I bought a 40-foot Greyhound bus that I converted into a mobile art studio where I can travel all over the world, all over the country to be able to do uh, art-infused education uh, programs. So our nonprofit is uh, called Pollination Station. And it's built around three concepts of living, uh, creating, and sharing. So um, those different concepts, we do art programs all across the country. Um, and virtually right now, due to, due to corona, um, we are doing virtual programs, uh, working on um, uh, helping youth to be able to consistently stay inspired and people in general stay inspired through art. Oh, that's nice. That's crazy. That's nice. Hey, hey, I mean, people, your truck out. Y'all built it from the ground up. From the ground up, man. Um, this is my second bus. My first bus I bought like twenty years ago. Me and my some of my homies bought a a Greyhound bus and converted it. One of my mentors put me on it. Was like, yo, I was I was tired of traveling and spending all of my money on hotels and all of that. So he's like, yo, why don't you just buy a coach bus and convert it? And I was like, yo, I don't want to. I, I thought he was talking about it like a yellow school bus. I'm like, I don't want a school bus. And I looked. Yeah, at right. And and I was like, "Yo, I'm 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 uh, I'm hooked." And I become I became a I bought my first bus. Um, it was a 1985 or 19, yeah, about 1985 or earlier, probably earlier bus. And we converted it. We did a little hip hop art tour. And then like, I've been waiting for the right time, the right energy, the right kids to leave, the right money to come to be able to regenerate and regenerate this whole momentum to uh, to Pollination Station right now. So it's a 40-foot, uh, pretty much a Greyhound bus. It's an MCI-8, which is pretty much uh, created in 1980. This bus is as, as, as old as me. I'm 40 years old. This, this bus is 40 years old. So we took a, a vintage 1980 bus took out all of the seats if you ever rode on a greyhound bus we took out all of the seats and made it into a portable art studio where we can travel all over the country doing art programs for young people uh and adults all over the country hey that's cool man because I, I was looking at some of the inside of it mine's like 80 and I, it's mine was an like ice cream truck when i got it mm-hmm. but hey i i've uh, i've been peeping you out and it was like uh it was a uh Y'all, y'all, y'all refurbished the whole thing. And, yeah, man. And, and, I'm, 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 I'm considered as a bus, um, a bus, uh, a bus man. You know, I, I oh yeah, hands and the outs of this bus, man. If if you got a bus and you want to convert a bus, or if, not only is it a, not only is it a bus, me and my wife, um, we like two and a half years ago decided to get out of the rat race, man. Like we was you know, uh, getting ready to, you know, pay mortgages and we was paying rent and all the, uh, the, 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 you know, just, you know, just the rat race of just paying bills and all of that. And we could never get caught back up. We could never keep get caught up. So we was like, yo, what if we live in this bus full time? So like, I'm having this conversation with you in my living room, in my bus right now. <laughs> oh, see what I'm saying? That, that's that's love. So you yeah, ain't gotta worry about all the extra stuff. I just been able to like you know really demolish like about eleven thousand dollars worth of debt, um, like 
like last week I just like was able to abolish like like between eleven and twelve thousand dollars worth of debt by just living in my in my money and as an artist saving and positioning myself in my business. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing, man. And and uh, so y'all get ready. I like I said, I saw a lot of the pictures of it, and uh, and like you were doing a lot of hands-on work yourself. Oh yeah, man. I mean, when we bought this bus, it was. It's 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 supposed to uh, pass in uh, forty seven people along with their luggage. So we got we got three big I think it's four four big compartments underneath the bus um, where we can be able to store equipment, store paint, store canvases, store equipment. So like a project for AT and T in St. Louis. Um, yeah, I saw that. I saw yeah, that. I just finished up a project with them. Some of the businesses got um, looted and, you know, doing a different protest and all of that things happened. And they called me up and was like, yo, would you would you mind doing art on uh, some of our buildings? Um, because a lot of our buildings, two of our locations got boarded up. So I'm like, yo, definitely. And uh, AT&T definitely, uh, they sponsored the, the Wi-Fi for our bus as well. So when we go into areas that don't have Wi-Fi, we got Wi-Fi for our bus. And we can use the Wi-Fi um, to, as an extension to be able to uh, help uh, other individuals, you know, while we at these locations. So they, they're one of our sponsors. And um, they're like, yo, do you mind coming up to St. Louis and showing some love and doing some art on some of the properties? And I'm like, yo, I'm down with that. So, um, you know, it be you know, before I would have to haul equipment. I didn't have a compress. I didn't have enough everything. Everything, everything inside. Yeah. So I can let my, my my bus pretty much has everything equipped. Like we can pull up to a, to any event, whether we doing t shirts with a heat press and t shirts and hats, or we doing murals. We can be able to facilitate any program. So um, I got Tyler going into. Uh, organizations or neighborhoods and across the country that don't have no electricity. We might be doing a program at a, a at a park that ain't got no no electricity. So on our bus, we got solar panels, we got a solar generator, we got generators where we can be able to hook up our compressors or just do aerosol work, so we can be able to produce art in areas that normally couldn't get art. And that's beautiful. And that's that's crazy because that's nice. But it's nice to have everything just right there. All in one, you man. Just, once you're done, yeah, once you're done, you can just drive off. I mean, I, and and at the end of the day, I can sleep in my own bed. You know what I mean? Like That's I, it. I can sleep. You know, that's, that's priceless. You know, for for artists or for an individual who travels, I travel, you know, at one time, man, I travel. I was on the road consistently. And I got tired of hotels. I got tired of Airbnbs. I got tired of flights. And now to be able to just pull up, do my thing, and then be able to uh, sleep in my own bed is priceless, you know? Yeah, that was crazy. That, that's what I had on the side of my truck. Pull up, park, and pay. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I remember you and Pop. You were Pops. What's up, yep. Pops? Pops. You were Pops. <laughs> you were Pops with a... Uh, I came to the shop a couple of times. We all came yeah, down man. to Houston, Texas to do some stuff. Hey, thank you for, uh, you know, consistently, man, you know, um, holding down the grounds, um, keeping the momentum going with the airbrushing and just art period. You know, you've been one of the ones that's been uh, true to the game from day one. You know, watching you from Coast Airbrush and, and all of that. And one of the things I respect about you, Ralph, is is that 
you, you don't take no shit, you know what I mean? And you, you hold down your own, and everybody had their own different perspective. But no matter what, man, like, you was the first one that, you know, that told me about the iPad and, you know, um, using a Procreate and all of that. Like, you know, you, you've always been on the, on the cutting edge of things, man. So just thank you for putting together this podcast and uh, giving uh, artists a opportunity to be able to uh, share tools for other individuals to inspire them because this is our time, man. And, and you've been a great momentum on uh, that transition. So thank you for standing up on top of everything because like honestly like this is something that i wanted to go to to do man i ain't got the time for this man so i'll, 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 I'll straight up straight up man this takes time and energy to be able to you know what i'm saying for the hosting and it's the time of of leaving your shop and doing this so i i, I highly respect you and I, I definitely want to uh say thank you for um because if if nothing else man this is an archive that we were here you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah, I, I mean, it's taking it's taking a minute to do it. Yeah. We go, hey, I'm going to try to keep it going, but, man, it's taking a lot of my time. I know it's hey, hard. I know it's, it's hard. It's about to kill out. It's about to kill out. I'm, I'm going to call you right back. Yeah. Bro. Right. Welcome back, brother. Yes, sir. All extended, right. The, the extended version. <laughs> hey, there's a Blu-ray version. <laughs> yeah. Blu-ray version. Yeah. Hey, so uh what city are you planning on going to with your uh pollination station? Well, uh in August we was uh getting ready to do like a ten city tour and um of course with corona things have slowed down. Man, corona fucked everything up. Yeah, it slowed everything down. So um <clears throat> we're gonna be probably heading down to Texas actually in October. Oh, we be uh, here, brother. Yeah, I got, uh, I got a uh, Dallas. I got the Fort Worth, uh, Fort Worth area that we're gonna be doing some stuff in. Plus, we trying to get out, out of this cold weather. We don't want to be up here in the cold. So, we're gonna be probably coming down there in uh, October, and then uh, I got a couple of different things going on. Hey, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know. I don't know what to us sixty. And fifty is cold, brother. So that's winter for us. I'm talking about uh, up here. We're talking about you know, um, it can get very cold. Nah, bro, we ain't doing all that down here. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's that's the beautiful thing about the bus. We can travel and move around wherever we want to go. <laughs> hey, yeah, that's uh, what was that? Uh, you can change the you can change the weather. We're gonna be uh snow uh uh snowbirds, man. We're gonna be able to migrate from yeah. the south to the uh to the to the to the from the north to the south. So we're looking forward to that and um and so on, man. So you know, if it's anybody out there that got um really, I'm looking for walls, man. I want to do a lot of uh, public art. I'm looking for walls. Anybody out there that got public walls or or, or opportunities for us to be able to do live art or public walls. Um, I, I want to be able to do uh, a lot of that. And then uh, we have another uh, perspective that we we're working on. As we travel, we're going to be doing, um, we're working with a, a, a program and a project uh, built around um, projection mapping. Are you familiar with that? Uh-uh. 
So pretty much we'll be able to do murals in different cities and then uh, we'll be able to project images and uh, animation over top of the murals to make the murals come to life. Oh, like 3D? You yeah, put the glasses 3D. on? Yeah. And yeah. we'll be able to open it up to kind of like, you know, where have you been familiar with like people or organizations? Walmart just uh, unleashed uh, their program where they're going to be doing like kind of like uh, drive-in theaters. That's the, that's the times now. Yeah. So we're going to be having it to where like we do a mural and then we do a live, we do the painting. And then at night we'll be able to do a projection mapping project to where we, we project on the mural and the mural comes to life where we can do animated kind of illustrations and different things like that and tells the story. So right now I know there's a down here, there's a lot of uh, social injustice murals. Right. Everywhere now. Right. So is that going to be a part of your... Oh, uh, yeah. <clears throat> Definitely, man. I mean, this project we just did with AT&T was built around social... Um, so, you know, it's going to be built around creating, um, you know, murals that, uh, you know, as artists, like we were saying, like we have a rep, we, we have a responsibility to be able to tell us uh, uh, snapshots of the, of the time, you know. So as an artist, you know, with uh, the work that I just did with AT&T that's built around social uh, justice and um, equality and different things like that, like that's why I feel like this is the perfect time for artists right now. Like, this is the perfect time for artists. Like, we, we definitely artists, have a voice. Yeah, I mean, this is the time right now because we got. At times, you know, everybody was too busy to care about pretty shit. I mean, straight up to care about pretty, uh, you know, colors and, and art and all that. Everybody was just too busy because they had jobs and all that. But like right now, people are looking for, um, you know, creative distractions, and as artists. It's the perfect time for any artist or creative individual to be able to produce themselves. Like, you know, I grew up in an era where what no internet, and I, you know, I, you know, and if I had internet back then, <laughs> you know, my my business would be in like ten times scale. So, as an artist, like this is a perfect time to be able to uh, create, produce, promote, share. Um, get community. Um, you know, I'm a big thing about like community art projects as well. Like getting your community involved with art. So doing murals in your community, doing art projects in your community. And a lot of artists don't realize it's a lot of money out there set aside for community art pro programs and community art projects. That's another thing that I just want to tell any artist is like, don't get so wrapped up into like your own little small window that you don't realize that there's opportunities in your city. Every city is looking for artists that can produce art and, and produce content or produce creative opportunities for their city. So any artist, you know what I mean? Like spend some time going to your local artist um, guild or your local art community um, because there's grants, there's funding set aside for us to be able to do our programs. I didn't realize it until I started getting into these, into this kind of, uh, this way of doing business that there's uh, millions of dollars set aside for artists waiting for us to be able to get our shit together, to write the proposals, to be able to write, to, 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 to be able to con contact the right people or do partnerships so we can be able to be successful as artists, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
<clears throat> yeah, that's crazy. It's millions of dollars right now. You know, they're you know they just you know the the, the care act that just dropped for the schools. You know, there's millions of dollars right now wrapped up into the care act built around online training. So if you have a um, a, a technique or a skill. What we what we are producing right now is we're producing an uh, academy, and we're looking for artists. We're looking for um, creative entrepreneurs that are trying to figure out ways to be able to monetize uh, opportunities through education. Because there's educational uh, institutions that are looking for creative individuals, and we want to be able to be that bridge to be able to. Um, collaborate and be able to give educators and artists an opportunity to be able to collaborate because our young people need it. That's crazy. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people ain't thinking that way. Oh, man. Yeah, this is this is a boom. This is a whole new renaissance right now. Corona, on some on some perspective, Corona is a work, is, is some some business and some individuals, it's like their work is a nightmare. Um, oh, man. On, it it changed up. the world. It changes the world, you know. But and it's, it's different. It's it's not, it's gonna it's not gonna be the same for a long it's time. Never. It's so. the new norm, man. It's the new norm. So you have to evolve. I just got off the phone with um the California Arts and Education uh, Association. They have they have art teachers from Sacramento, California, all the way down to the Bay Area, all through California. They got you know thousands of of educators and um, I'm, I'm just finishing up a deal with them to be able to do some training with all of their art teachers because they have to go virtual yeah everything so, virtual now everything is virtual so if you have a skill specifically if it's an art skill um, there is a backlog of um, opportunities for creative individuals. So I say, con- you know, if you if you're interested, contact me. I would love to be able to put artists on and creative individuals on because there's so much opportunity that there's not enough artists or there's not enough uh, individuals who can uh, uh, facilitate these programs. Um, and to have that forefront knowledge of of I'm going to put it like this, the revenue stream of that. Because right now, man, you, you have to think everybody is, is trying to make that quick buck. Right. It, it, so, it is out there, but to have that forefront knowledge of, okay, well, I can do this and, you know, I can get everybody involved in it, especially since right. it's the way it is right now. Right. As far as like virtual, but you got you you got to balance it out, man. You know, you know you got to balance it out. You know, it's it's just like any other business. You want to be able to make sure your portfolio is versatile. You know, as a business individual or just as a, a entrepreneur or as a businessman. Period. I'm I'm always looking at my bottom line and I'm always looking at my portfolio of where I'm putting my money at and what I want to invest in. So, as far as the future, when we look at you know the future of things, education has been one of the things that I've jumped on. I jumped on that a couple of years ago, and that's one of the things that helps diversify my industry, diversify 
my uh, my business plan or my business uh, structure because I know that no matter what, every year there's going to be millions of dollars dedicated to education, but I can't say the same thing that's going to be millions of dollars coming in through a storefront. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I can so- lock in certain... I can lock in certain contracts a year ahead of time that I know that's going to fulfill me for the the, 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 the prior year coming up. And I ain't got to worry about shit or woulda, coulda. I'm just waiting for a check to come in the mail. Yeah. Well, but one thing I would say is that everything is not for everybody. Right. So some things you need to keep to yourself and, 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 and let it flourish for you. You know but the, diversification is 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 the momentum of the future. Diversification care, is the, is the momentum. If it, if it ain't for everybody, what I'm saying is diversify your whole business structure. If you only been, I learned this a long time ago from a businessman. This dude used to make um, playground, uh, uh, like you know, like swings and stuff. Yeah, playground yeah, yeah. sets. He had he had a business making playground sets right and he was talking about he, he taught me this a long time ago he was like he was like 90 percent of my employees or i had a client or i had a position a position a position of my business that was bringing me probably like 75 percent of my business so let's just say like you're doing a business at 100 percent, you got one certain prospect of your business that's bringing you 75 to 80 percent of your business he had he had seventy five percent of his business coming in to like making these um, uh, outdoor play sets, and he had contracts with, with organizations and schools all across the country that was seventy five to eighty percent of his business, right? And that one client decided to go somewhere else. Just like in business, you know, in business with Corona, like seventy five to eighty percent of our business might have been adjusted or might have been dealt with or might have been affected due corona but you should never put that much stock or that much inventory that much energy into that much part of your business your business has to be diversified so i diversify my business in multiple different ways so i got education as one component my independent how-tos is one component my books and my speaking is one component my art is one component and my murals is one component. So I got four different ways. So if I, out of 100%, if I focused in on 25% of each of those four components, make 100%. So when this business uh, strategy um, that this entrepreneur told me about, he said, never, he said, never put more than 75% of your effort or 75% of your eggs in one basket. And that's what we have been doing for a long time. So I, I make sure that I diversify, whether it's real estate, whether it's education, whether it's products or, or teaching or consulting. I make sure that I diversify my business to where no part of my business is getting more than 50%. Because if something would happen, let's say if a client drops me or like in like Corona happens where you know what I mean? I, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my uh, business is built around a strategic or specific components. If I don't diversify, then I have a, I'm going to lose because, you know, I'm not diversifying in different markets. So I tell any entrepreneur, diversify your business strategy. 
whether you're an artist or whatever, just make sure that you diversify because that's the only, like, change is the only thing that you can guarantee. Yeah. Like, anything yeah. else, you can't guarantee. So, change is the only thing you can guarantee. So, I built my whole business strategy built around change. Uh, evolution. And evolution. So, I'm yeah. never, you will never see Airbrush Assassin, like, that Assassin Airbrush, that was a limited emission. You will never see that, that Airbrush coming out again. You will never see me reproducing any of the old products that I'm doing. I might oh. take it and advance it, but 25% of a product is a new product. Oh, guess what? I got, I got one. So it, so it's limited edition. Like I'm selling it late old. I'm going to make my money back. <laughs> it's going to be a collector's item soon, so I, I got mine. Exactly. Do you got exactly. yours? Everybody do uh, whoever listens do y'all got y'all? We gotta diversify. Hey. Same thing with me. Like some people kept telling, you know, I, I did the Assassin Airbrush last year, I stopped selling them. That was limited edition. So people be trying to call me up talking about I wanted assassin. Oh, and it's limited edition, man. I got I only got, you know, so many left over that I set that I set aside just for my my grandchildren. Or my daughter, just to be able to say, like, my dad was the first African-American airbrush artist to create his own airbrush. And, and you know what? And the box is customized. And the, bo- the box is customized. With your yeah. artwork. I got a deal. I'm, nobody knows this, but I got the only, I did a deal with uh, with Createx to do a limited edition box for a hip-hop airbrush set for colors. And I did a limit. I, I didn't even do... It didn't even make it off the press. Let's put it like that. But I got like the only box. I got like two, three boxes. That's like the only box for this limited edition that was going to come out. You know what I'm saying? So those kind of things are like exclusive to where like, you know, down the line, I'm building my value for my generational wealth and my grandchildren and all of that. Because just imagine if if you had Miles Davis's um, instrument while he was making you know, blue note or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Those are how we got to be able to look at the artifacts and the things that we're doing as artists. That's how I look at it is, is that, you know, one day if, if you know, God, God forbid, if, 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 if my work is ever put in the museum or my story is ever told in the museum, I want to be able to have the artifacts to go along with it. Yeah. And, and, and it goes back to your digital footprint. What we were yeah. talking about earlier, you you know, we 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 post all these, you know, we post all this stuff online, and, and you know, people see it, and then some people don't see it, but eventually, you know, it's gonna be out there. If you if if, 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 if you look up airbrush, yeah, you know, some people names, some people names should show up, not or just or just Google your name. I I I mean, I I I made a point to me to where. I wanted to be able to have it to where you Google my name because in the future, people are going to be like, yo, who is this Malcolm McCray dude? They ain't going to be trying to buy no book. Or no okay, hold on. Googling my name. They're going to be Googling Rob Kelly. You know what I'm saying? No, see, they Google my name. They might see my, my mugshot. So I don't know if I want to Google my name, bro. <laughs> my mugshot might show up. They're going to hear your podcast. Like, this dude was ahead of his time. He had did a oh, podcast. Oh, he... <laughs> No, he went to jail for what? <laughs> no, 
nah, I don't, I don't know if I want to Google my name, bro. <laughs> look up at Graphic. Don't look up Rap Kelly. Rap Kelly, Rap Kelly done been in jail a couple times. You but want the before that? or you want the after? Which one? You yeah, want? well, you know, hey, let's be easy on how you look at that. So, right I know you mentioned the COVID a lot, man. So, uh, how, how have you adapted to, to you know, I know people with inline stores, we had to uh, uh, adapt to it. And, and we had to close for a while. So, what did you do? Uh, honestly, man, I just, uh, I kind of was already working my way to the virtual because I had the airbrush DVDs out and they just wasn't selling no more, right? Because nobody got yeah. no DVD players. Everybody want streaming. Yeah, we want streaming. So, so I had already been working my way towards that point. I already had the streaming site. I had already did that leg work. Um, but what it really has, honestly, though, I'm going to tell you, man, like this is going to be one of my best years yet. Like COVID year. I'm That's a beautiful thing. I'm going to remember this in time, man. Um. <laughs> Because um, it it was like I had I'm a visionary and I'm a goal setter, so I had already planned this like five years ago, what I was gonna do when I turned this age and what I was gonna do 2020. So, um, you know, that's one of the things that I try to encourage. I was just talking to one of my other mentees. I was like, "Yo, man, like like you living day to day, and you need to be you need to be." You need to be planning a vision of where you want your career to go. Like, cause I knew that let's just let's just be straight up. If I left my career in anybody else's hands, whether it was a magazine or a company, I would have ended up like exploited or pissed off at the industry. So I knew that I, I wasn't going that route. And I knew that my thing was built around like like Nipsey Hustle say, like I'm, I'm built around a marathon. So everything that I had been built around is being built around like a long-term perspective of momentum because I knew that and I've seen the other individuals behind me that like, you know, if you don't have any kind of drive or if you don't have a long-term plan, then you're just going to be an artist painting shit. And I just didn't want to be working from project to project because I've seen some, some of my best artist mentors still grinding out there on the low end, scrapping, hustling from project to project, and I didn't want to do that. So I really focused in on uh, setting up a, a legacy of where I wanted Airbrush Assassin and then also where I wanted uh, my institute and my videos and the momentum that I've been building for, this, for, the, for these years to go. And um, I'm just, I'm really, what I really did it when, when COVID came, like I had a ten, I had a ten, a ten city tour that we was planning. We was getting ready to leave in, you know, in in um, in June and July. So I was right in the middle of it. I had bookings and traveling and all of that other stuff. Yeah, but with COVID, yeah. COVID gave me an opportunity to sit my ass down and reflect. And doing that reflection, um, you know, I don't, you know, I ain't no highly religious person, but I do, um realize that I'm a spiritual individual because I'm a creator and God was a creator. So I, I, I spiritually just sat down a little bit, did some meditating. I ain't never um, thought about it like that. Yeah, man, I'm a spiritual person, man. No matter what, on, on all of this creative shit, I love it. 
but like I'm a, I'm like you know I'm a spiritual person first and foremost you know because I realized that you know I came through through some hardcore statistics and like it's amazing and you know that I'm here to this day to even talk to you because yeah yeah you know I went through some crazy shit so um I know that my, you know that I'm I'm on, I'm on the journey and I know that my path is uh is a path of righteousness and I know my path is built around um opening up the doors for other individuals and opening up the doors and being like a I consider myself like a pioneer like you know like when Christopher Columbus and all of them landed here you know you had those individuals that had to just go out into the wilderness and like stake and like put the flag down you know and take the ass whoopings and all of that shit that came along the drought the famine I'm one of them type of individuals that like I went through the hard work for the so individuals behind, you know behind me don't have to go through it so hard so um for me corona was like really a slowing down period of just like okay so how are you going to adjust through this and then once i kind of got really quiet like right, right even to this day like right now bro I don't, I don't i don't watch no news man i don't get caught up into none of that news and all of that uh fear of drama and fear and all of that i live by my own pace and my own drum so i i, I kind of tuned all of that out and uh corona has been a blessing because it quieted me down to focus in on like my when I say my why, like my reason why I was put on this earth from day one. So during the time before Corona, you know, you busy, busy, busy paying bills, taking care of clients, running, doing this, doing that, trying to please everybody, trying to, you know, catch up on sleep, catch up on projects. And like Corona created a whole different mentality of this time and space. So a lot of my energy and time at one time was built around like business meetings and pitching and all of that, where a lot of my time now is built around like strategic planning and like, okay, how can we make, how can we, everything for me is, is strategic because time, I'm 40 right now. My dad is 73 and I look at like, damn, he's 70. So I got another, I got another 30 year before I get burnt out. You know what I'm saying? So I got a whole nother life span. I'm 40. I got at least 30 to 40 years to make another, to, 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 to make it right or to trigger, to try to figure this shit out. And my, and, and everything now is built around legacy. It's built around, um, um, long-term positioning. So nobody talks about retirement. Nobody talks about like what happens as an artist. A lot of the time, some, some of us have paid in social security. Some of us hasn't but nobody talks about what happens when you turn 60 70 ain't no ain't no airbrush retirement home right nobody talks about that so my my plan is as is positioning myself for um long term not necessarily retirement but the next phase of my life as far as building up being being an elder and spending the the next um um parts of my life um focusing on creating great um reflections because i want to die empty man like you know we born full you know les brown one of one of the most incredible motivated motivational speakers of this time if you don't know him i listen to motivational tapes and speaking every every day and les brown um he's a great motivational speaker talks about that like 
you wanna you wanna live a life so when you when you pass on or when you transition, you transition and you you live the full life and you was able to give everything away and you was able to 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 have opportunities and create opportunities that create a longing um uh ringing of your name. So where I'm at right now in life, you know, I'm looking at long-term structures of creating opportunities for long-term, um, not only wealth for my family, but also uh, opportunities for the next generation of creative leaders. So um, I spend a lot of my time reflecting on that. That's where my books and all of that comes out and um, reflecting on how I can be able to be a tool uh, for other people. So um, uh, you know, I'm a part of youth organizing. I'm a part of uh, c- community organizing. So a lot of my work is uh, in the future is going to be built around um, civil work and also taking it to the international level. So right now, for the last two years, I've been pushing, um, you know, probably longer than that, for like three to five years, I've been traveling nationally all across the country um, doing my work. But um, next year, um, and in, in, in two years, I'll be doing an international tour where we'll be going to Africa, Asia, Japan, all over the world, uh, transitioning and inspiring people through art, using art, airbrushing, and hip-hop, uh, and all of that. So you'll see it more. I'll be going to Africa, Senegal, uh, Japan, uh, Malaysia, all over the country, all over the world, um, using art as a tool to be able to inspire others. That's, that's, that's a beautiful thing, brother. That's, you know, a lot of people will have that mindset to think about what you're thinking about. They're just thinking about, oh, let me make this money right now and be done with it. You know, they're not thinking about the the longevity. Or what is it? Uh, uh, what, how do they, they put it? Uh, man, I can't call it right now. It's uh, what you think about right now yeah. and then what you're thinking about later on. I've always been the person who think about, okay, I'm gonna do this right now, but what about later on? How's it right. gonna affect me later on? Your legacy. And yeah, and you gotta think about, you know, what you're doing with your money. Yeah, exactly. You know, some people get that money and they they, they see it and they, they blow it. What are you gonna? How are you gonna reinvest it in yourself to try to keep it going? I got a key about money. Money is a tool, and one of my great mentors, you know, taught me how to use money and. Um, that's one of the things that nobody talks about is how to position yourself with money. And like, you know, money is a tool. And a lot of times, um, we don't really look at it as that. So I'm always adjusting and looking at money. Every time I do a project, um, uh, I'm always looking at how to be able to, what am I going to do with it? But a lot of that comes out into planning. Like you got to know what you're going to do with money before you get money. Because if you get money and you're trying to figure out why you got money, it's too late. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I get on my son all the time. Like, oh, well, I work this many hours. Like, dude, don't count your money. Don't count it. Don't count it before you get it. Right. Once you get it, then you worry about what you're going to do with it. But right. don't don't count it before you get it. I take the, I take, And I take the opposite per- perspective. I count it before I get it because I expect it. Nah, I, don't, I don't do it because, you know, those people got their hands in your money before you get. They gonna get theirs off the top. Yeah, but if you don't you count it before you expect it, most artists pay themselves last. Oh, so I count it before story. I expect it because I pay myself first. I pay myself first too. 
I pay myself first too. True story. Oh, I count but it. no, but see, he work. He don't work for himself. He works oh, for right. somebody else. Right. Right. So. Yeah, but when you work for yourself, you pay yourself first, <laughs> and then you worry about everything else. Then you worry about it. I, I I learned that a long time ago. Like if you pick, if you take all this money, you get to you you reinvest that in t-shirts, so you will reinvest that. You know, when I wrote my book, man, when I wrote my book, I was literally at a at a mall. It was my last. It was my last. It was my last year airbrushing t-shirts in the mall when I wrote my book, and. I remember being highly depressed, but highly excited. And I had an anxiety attack, man. That, that, that's what really changed my whole, a, a big perspective of my life is because I started to see, like, I remember seeing those airbrush artists and those old guys airbrushing t-shirts and they never had shit to show for it. And I remember my last, right, the year I wrote my book was the last time I was in the mall. And I remember being in that mall, literally coming in to open up the doors. And I literally couldn't open up the doors because I couldn't stop my hands from shaking because I was having an anxiety attack. The anxiety attack was built around, it was a seasonable time. It was during Christmas. And I was working crazy hours to open up because, of course, the mall going to give you a, 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 a fine. Ridiculous hours. Yeah. And I remember coming in, I was rushing and this and that. And I was feeling, you know, I was feeling all this anxiety because I had clients and customers and the small was going to find me. And I remember, like, it was like leaving out the, uh, the, the, the little dock area, going into the mall to open up my shop. And I literally couldn't walk through the doors because I was having an anxiety attack. And I was like, couldn't, because all of the, 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 the worries and the doubt and all of that was coming in and I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy doing what I was doing on this earth. And I wrote yeah. my, I told myself, I said, I'm going to work the rest of this season, but I'm going to take all of my money. And I remember this because me and my dad always had a cycle. Like after the season, we take the money, we call up the t-shirt company, we order more stock, we order more paint, we order more transfers, we order more this and that. And I decided to take that money and put that into publishing my first book. And yeah, it was go ahead. It was a transition in my life, and it changed my life. And I realized that, um, I, ever since then, I made sure that I made sure that my portfolio was diverse, my business yeah. portfolio in my life. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, when you said that, it, it made me reflect on something. It was. I remember one night it, I was busy, busy, busy. And I know I had to go somewhere. I had to be to my daughter recital. Mm. And, and and the people was in there like, oh, come on, you can do me one more shirt. And people steadily kept coming in. Come on, you can do me one more shirt. And I stayed late and I kept doing it because I thought, oh, oh, I'm making more money. I'm making more money. I'm making more money. I'm making more money. But when I left, I got to the recital. The recital was over. Mm. But my daughter was disappointed. I was disappointed, and it made me reflect. Okay, everybody got their shirts. They left happy. Mm. Now, I get to my recital. I get to my daughter's recital. I missed it. Mm. So my daughter's upset with me. So it made that right then I, I changed. Mm. Uh, okay, from now on, it's about me. If you ain't there on time, that's your fault. Right. 
You know what I'm saying? So I don't understand how you being late affects me. Right. So it changed me big time right then and there. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Hey, but you know what? Hey, I appreciate you taking the time out with me, yeah, man. man. I know, I know you want to spend time with your, your wife. You said it's your time. We went past that. <laughs> <laughs> tell her, tell her I'm sorry. Hey. It wasn't my fault. You had hey, a lot to talk about. She in the back. She hear you. I'm, I'm sorry, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. He, he had a lot to talk about. Hey, man, my, my wife has been a great anchor in my life, man. And, you know, without her, I wouldn't be able to transition and make the moves that I was able to make the moves. So that's another perspective of it is, you know, the, hey. ba- the balance of this whole thing, you know? Hey, it's all about that support, brother. Yeah. They say behind every great man, it's a great woman. I sure. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. Man. Well, Ralph, hey. thank you for continue. Thank you for putting this together, man. Continue on what you're doing. If I can ever be to any help to any listeners out there, um, if I can be able to uh, help anybody else, definitely make sure you contact me. You can go to my website, www.com, malcolmacray.com, um, and uh, you can go to my Instagram and find me, Malcolm McCray or Airbrush Assassin, Facebook, all of that good stuff. And it's all about trying to be able to help other individuals like ourselves because, um, you know, everybody's trying to figure this whole thing out, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, wait, one one last thing. Yes, sir. Where you at right now? I'm in southern Missouri. Missouri. All right, I thought you still... I wanted to, I wanted to touch talk to you about the uh, Wisconsin thing, but I guess you're not there. You can talk to me. I mean, I just left Wisconsin about a week ago. Man, what what you think, bro? I don't, I don't know what she put on this. Let me call you later on when I finish this here. We don't even put this on there, bro. You can talk nah, about it. I don't mind. Nah, you don't, you don't want to know my concept, brother. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. If you know if you know me, you know me. But, hey, you don't want to talk about me. I don't want to talk about it live. So, there you go. We go. Hey, I appreciate it, brother. Yes, sir. And uh, we'll talk about it in a few minutes. All right. Sounds good, Kelly. Keep it going, man. Thank you, brother. All right. Thank you. Right, Have a good one. Sir. Yes, sir. Air Graphic Podcast is a production of Air Graphics Airbrushing. It's written and hosted by me, fellow airbrusher Ralph Kelly. If you want to see any of my work, check out my website, www.airgraphics1.com, or my Facebook, Ralph Kelly. Thanks for listening. <laughs>